You are listening to Zen and the Art of Triathlon. Well, hey there, all you triathlon freaks and geeks. This is Brett Blankner with another great episode of Zen and the Art of Triathlon. Hey, on this show, we have the full Ironman Texas review, and also I'm going to start covering the Dao De Ching, which is an epic, epic Zen story. Set of poems, lessons, I'm not sure what it is. It's just amazing. And we're going to start covering that over the next uh, few series of shows, a few episodes, and it's going to be a lot of fun, so I encourage you to go check that out. And yeah, the Ironman Texas review. Uh, last year, I think it was a five-hour episode, <laughs> but we had interviews mixed in and uh, race audio and all that stuff last year, and this year we're just going to cover it just straight up how the race went with lots of tips and good stuff in there for you to use for either Ironman Texas or your next race, long distance or short. Just tons of good stuff in there. But before we do anything else, let's go ahead and start with the triathlon news. Here we go. All right, first up in world drama, Challenge Oman has been canceled. Boo! The problem is. There's uh, warring going on in the region, and it's a little bit too close to Oman, and I'm actually pretty bummed about this because when I looked into the race, I found out that there is a part of Oman that is absolutely gorgeous and rugged. It was going to be one tough race, and this was part of the uh, Triple Crown series where three races in a row in that area. If you won all three, you were going to win a million dollars, both male and female, I think was the cash prize. So I think they're looking into moving the race around to another location that isn't quite so, I guess, sketchy as a word. <laughs> or uh, or just people feel more comfortable going there. And Oman itself seems to be fine. It's just it's too close to uh, places where there's uh, civil unrest. And uh, let's see. Also, there is an Ironman coaching program now. So Ironman has started up something where you can go get certified as a coach. Um, the downside is it seems a little bit uh, sketchy, kind of like Oman's neighbors, where the um, you can get certified as a coach with only 14 hours of training and... That's not uh, all that hot. The um, the USAT training that I went to uh, many, many years ago was, I think it was three days long, eight hours a day, and then you had to do a whole bunch of work and send in uh, all your finished work uh, to get approved later, and it was actually, even though it was kind of short, it wasn't that short, and you had to prove your stuff, but... A lot of people, maybe a third of the people in that uh, training coaching program weren't even triathletes. They were coaches in other sports, other things like, say, spin cycling or, or um, a track coach or something like that. And they just kept getting people asking them if they, were, uh, if they could coach them in triathlons. And since UAT puts on the clinic, they went to go get USAT 
uh, triathlon coach certified. That way they could say they at least understood the sport somewhat. Um, so Ironman uh, putting this on uh, seems like a, uh, a way for them to kind of cash in a little bit on, uh, hey, you want to sign up? sign up for an Ironman. By the way, here's some people that are, are uh, certified coaches. And um, you have to pay, I don't know, it was like 700 bucks or something like that to get certified. And then apparently you could uh, get a whole bunch of clients because Ironman will point them your way. So it's just an interesting uh, business model going on there. But uh, always look for a coach that has a lot of experience in the thing that you want to do. And I would say my number one tip for picking out a coach is not certifications whatsoever. Um, it's nice, but the the thing is, is you find out how they coach. Do they coach through the internet only? Do they coach in person? How often do they update their training plans? Uh, what coaching platform do they use? What do they require out of you? And uh, you know, like how often do they communicate and, and how, and you want to make them inspirational to you, you know, somebody that'll be like that the fact that they're coaching you gets you like super motivated to go out and train and to, to do things right. And they should easily be able to answer those questions. And that's, and if they, if they don't give the right answer, you know, like you like somebody that sends you, um, an email every couple of days about, about an analyzing, you know, how you're doing. Um, that may be kind of, that the coach that you're interested in may not do that. And you need to move on to another coach. There's a coach out there somewhere that does that, <laughs> you know, anyway, uh, there's all that. And then also there's a really cool podcast interview out there that I think, um, if you're not aware of and you're a fan of this kind of stuff that you ought to check out, Mark Marin, who's huge in podcasting, he's one of the earliest podcasters, uh, interviewed Terry Gross. And Terry Gross has been doing interviews since the 1970s, I think. And it's um, Terry Gross has interviewed everybody that's, in, that, that's been anybody. Johnny Cash. I, I, it just goes on and on and on. Uh, who she's interviewed and it's just a fantastic back and forth with them and the most amazing soundbite that I got out of the uh, entire uh, episode was uh, Terry said uh, the quote was something along the lines of she loves her job because she gets people to share things about themselves that might be helpful to others and I thought that is exactly why I do this podcast. If I had to, if I had to put it down to a sentence and summarize it, um, the show is not about me. It's not really about triathlon. It's about bettering everybody, all of us, and the sport by talking about how I'm doing what I'm doing because. And also to get pros and experts in the field on the show to talk about what they're doing. Because if they share a little bit about how they're doing it, then it'll make your life easier. And then in the end, we have more people doing this and more people familiar with it. And when you grow the community and get more awareness of how and what and what's going on, then it becomes easier for everybody. It becomes easier for me. 
to go out and train and have fun and raise my family in a, in a healthy environment and it becomes easier for you and it just becomes easier for everybody. Like, imagine becoming a cyclist. You want to, how much easier it is to be a good, ha- happy, healthy cyclist or healthy eater or whatever in a town that's full of cyclists, right? Or healthy eaters. And then imagine how difficult it is in a place where there aren't any, you know, or much, much, many, much fewer. And uh, how by spreading the word and making everything uh, easier by, by sharing tips on how you get stuff done, uh, grows a community, makes life easier for everybody. It's really cool. So go check that out. Again, Mark Marin and Terry Gross. I think uh, the, ep- the interview aired either direction. Mark Marin's podcast has the bigger volume of it because they curse some and he can do that on the podcast and on NPR Terry Gross uh, aired the interview as well it was pretty cool all right did it did it did it we got a news flash I was just wrapping up recording this podcast when the news came across the wire Iron Man 70.3 which is half Iron Man uh, championships in 2017 are going to be held in the United States, and they are trying to pick between three different race sites, uh, Chattanooga, Lake Placid, and what's the other one? Uh, St. George, I think, in Utah, are the three uh, candidates. But the really interesting thing is that they're going to do males on one day and females on the next, uh, pro and age group. So let's say, for example, male... Pro, uh, male pros go first on Saturday morning and then male age groupers and then that's your day. And then on Sunday, you can have uh, female pros and female age groupers uh, go. And that's really, really interesting. And something like 4,500 athletes are predicted to be in these in this, this race, these races. I don't know. Anyway, but that news just popped up on the wire and I thought I'd share that with you. All right, back to the podcast. All right, that is enough of the news. Let's go ahead and get started with the Ironman Texas race review. Here we go. (laughs) All right, let's start off with the uh, days before and a a little bit of of a summary so I can uh, give you just a brief synopsis of what we're getting into here. So Ironman Texas, full Ironman, brutally hot. People have said after the race... I keep coming across keep coming across in race reports many people that have been to Kona saying it was hotter and more humid and harder temperature wise uh, than than Kona itself, which is legendary for being brutal hotter ter- more terrible than Cancun, Brazil, like all this stuff. I don't know. I've never done any of those races, but it sure made me feel better and that's what I'm all about. <laughs> so the, uh, the other thing is, yeah, it's a full Ironman. It's in Texas. It's uh, just as the temperatures start getting brutally, brutally hot, um, and it's right on the cusp of that. So you really don't get any heat training here because it's not hot yet, and then all of a sudden it's hot, and then they do the race. So you don't have like a month of heat training or two months of it. You just kind of, you know, over a week, it turns brutally hot and then they hold the race and they're looking at changing it's supposed to uh move up the calendar to early in the year earlier in the year over the uh, next uh couple of years or so i don't know how much that's really going to help okay 
And then uh, for my race result, basically everything went great up until about halfway through the run where it just got too hot and I ended up having to walk um, a significant portion of the run, like uh, around half of the run. But it was the latter half, and up until then, uh, I looked. it looked like I was uh, probably going to come in under 11 hours, which would have been a PR. And then the, the heat got to me, and I had to walk, and then I ended up doing just under 13 hours. Um, so it added a couple of hours of um, walking in there. Um, I'm very, very happy with my result, actually. People would think, oh, man, you know, you're doing all this stuff with Tawny Show, and you're trying to go sub-10, and all this stuff. Uh, the the fact is, is still, even though I wanted to quit halfway through that run, I almost did. I wanted to quit, and it was terrible out there, um, and you're miserable. Uh, I changed my mindset at some point during that and said, man, you finish an Ironman, you're still an Ironman. It's still badass just to finish an Ironman. And uh, just under 13 hours is still a respectable time considering the heat. And um, this is Ironman number 14 for me. And there's a lot to be said for, uh, you know, volume of doing these and a lifestyle. And, yeah, you know. Um, oh, and then the thing is, is that um, uh, within a day, I was back on my feet and not even sore, really. Not, not all that much. And um, the Ironman basically didn't affect me uh, physically, like, all that much at all which means I'm in uh, super-duper happy, healthy shape. And that's really the whole point of... of uh, well, you can have two different points to, endur- to endurance sports. It's either, either to win everything and be the fastest in the world or uh, a happy, healthy lifestyle that makes you fitter. They're kind of at opposite ends of the spectrum. Um, if you try to race and, uh, and win everything, then you can really just cook your body and kind of fry yourself and then get burned out and then never want to do this stuff ever again. But if you do a more long-term approach, it's okay to not have a great race result, but, um, and then you look at the bigger picture, like, like, uh, how, how healthy are you? And, uh, you know, how much did the Ironman affect you is a really good indicator of that. And it barely affected me at all. (laughs) So I was like, wow, that's pretty nice. So I'm actually really, really happy that I knocked out an Ironman and uh, I'm fine. Um, that's hard to do, and that's uh, that, and I'm cool with that. I'm totally, totally cool with that. So let's start up with uh, a few days before the race. Um, two days before the race, I went to the Woodlands and uh, logged in, whatever you want to call it, signed in, and then I went over to the Starkey Show, which was being recorded in. Uh, a bike shop uh, just east of the of the finish area, and that was super cool because I got to meet a whole bunch of people and was actually on the air quite a bit. Um, there's some podcasting and video out there of, of me doing my stuff. Somebody suggested to somebody else that man, that guy's Zentri, that Zentri guy, he should uh, he should get a show. <laughs> and my friend was like, he does have one, <laughs> you dummy. <laughs> Anyway, the uh, uh, a highlight was seeing Lionel Sanders. I never met him before. Um, Big Sexy uh, McDonald was uh, there, and the guy that owns Ventum Bikes, 
or I guess he's a co-owner or something like that. That was pretty cool. And after that, I went over to the all-world athlete meeting, and I saw Jordan Rapp there, and uh, Bob Babbitt, and Dave Scott. I went and got Dave Scott a glass of water, and then when I came back, other people had gotten, were talking to him and I've talked to Dave Scott before. So I was, I was like, whatever, I was just going to say hi. And that didn't really have much else. And then also I talked to Andrew Messick for a couple of minutes and I was in the middle of, I thought was a nice conversation with him. And then he just turned away from me and said, I got to go like that. And I was like, what in the world is that about? And I still haven't figured out what that was about. Uh, he did, he realized he was talking to a podcast and wanted to, maybe there was somebody behind me, like, like doing the, you know, the cut across the throat sign, like, don't talk to the press. <laughs> and I was at, we were talking about, I was talking to him about the swim start and I actually liked the rolling swim start idea. And I was excited to be doing that on Saturday when the race started. And that's when he ended the conversation. So I have no idea uh, why he bailed. But anyway, um, then on Friday, well, I went back home Thursday night and then Friday morning finished packing up my stuff and then drove with Kai back to the race location to the woodlands. I live about an hour and an hour and 15, kind of depends traffic, um, uh, away. And, um, we got our, finally got our hotel and with, and Emily got there and we were in our hotel all of a few minutes and we were going to put some leftover food in the fridge and we realized there's no fridge. And then a little while later, we realized there was no microwave. <laughs> we, we called the front desk and we go, hey, we got a problem here. And they uh, switched us out. Thank God. But here's your first tip of the race. Do not get a hotel room. Make sure that when you get your hotel room that it's got a fridge and a microwave in it. It was an extra five bucks, I think to get that. But man, we're lucky that they had an extra room to do that. And then, um, also I've talked about on the air with Tawny on the endurance stuff that we're doing on uh, endurance planet that I just felt like, um, I wasn't that into the race this year and I wouldn't have known it except, um, there was little indicators here and there and the, they were to me the letting things slide until the last moment, which shows that you don't care quite as much as you should. So for example, this year's race, um, I have some more examples coming up, but, uh, the reason this podcast is going to be so much shorter is I didn't record any race audio. I was more into just relaxing and, uh, not, um, not being everywhere all the time and trying to get interviews with people and, and stuff like that. I felt like I'd done plenty of that and I just wasn't, I didn't have the energy or the interest to be doing all that this time around. And, uh, that's, that's, uh, really weird. And I was like, okay, that's a sign that, um, and also, uh, it's just, it's not that I'm burned out, it's more like a couple of months ago, I decided I needed to back off of trying to do too much. And this was more in a continuation of my current habit of saying, you know what, let's dial it down a little bit to get more rest and everything. Because actually, the f I've been um, resting and recovering well before this race came up. And I think that's one of the reasons that the, um, the race didn't bother me so much. 
is because I was well rested going into it, and um, and this was all kind of the um, the pattern, the habit of kind of just uh, being more relaxed going into the race. Okay, and also I've done the race. This will be the fifth time that I've done the race, so I wasn't you know there wasn't anything really new or amazing to go out there and discover. They did change the run course a little bit. I mean that was it. That was the only thing different. And it was just they added, they removed one leg and added another on an out and back. Okay, the um, a cool thing the day before the race is on the pro rack. We saw Andreas Raylert rack his bike. He rides a cube bike, and that was super cool. I told Kai, I go, that guy right there has the record for the world's fastest Ironman right there. That guy and Kai, you know, he's ten years old. He's looking over the fence, you know. He's like, ooh, wow, that is so cool. So that was really neat. So thank you, pros, for being there so people can check you out. Um, I went and had dinner the night before the race with um, people that I coach and families and saw uh, just a whole bunch of whole bunch of people out there. I did Italian food and uh, spaghetti with red sauce and marinara sauce, whatever, and, um, and bread rolls. Uh, there was a place that had bread rolls with no butter on them already. And that was perfect, absolutely perfect. Then went back to the hotel room and boxed everything up, put it in the fridge, and went to bed. Actually pretty early. And I actually had a list of things I wanted to do that night and then never got around to them and fell asleep. Which that never getting around to it is interesting as well. And then uh, morning of the race, here's my notes. For Ironman Texas, if you're in a hotel somewhere in the neighborhood, uh, I got up around 3.30. And that was... I've got it in my notes so I can remember it for next time, what time worked to get up. And I uh, ate some breakfast. Breakfast was um, bagel, pretzels, coconut milk, power bars, applesauce, coffee. And uh, the applesauce and coffee is to kind of make you poop so that your guts aren't full uh, going into the race. And I couldn't make myself poop. And that was a little bit uh, disconcerting, which I think didn't help my run uh, later in the day. But, you know, I was like, well, don't stress about it. You did what you could. Maybe you don't have any poop in you. <laughs> anyway, and then um, until the, then I made a bottle up of uh, can with some Gatorade and Hornet juice uh, until the race start. And sip on that. Uh, if you ever get hungry or whatever until the race start. And we hopped in the car and then drove over there. And I was going to start recording in the car to uh, say, you know, all right, we're on the race scene and we got everybody in the car and we're driving to the Ironman race start. How's everybody doing? That's when I was actually going to start recording race audio. But it never happened because immediately Emily and I, I had the phone in my hand about ready to record. And then Emily and I uh, started arguing and it was, it just set a bad mood for the, for the, uh, for the recording. And I told her to, to go down this boulevard and then do a U-turn. And then she totally just kept going and refused to do the U-turn, even though she totally could have. And I'm like, Oh great. Now I'm dealing with a rogue driver, a, a rogue, uh, volunteer that's going to do what she thinks I want, what she thinks should be done. And instead of me telling her what to do. And it pissed me off. I'm like, you got to do what I say this, this morning until I get into the water. Just do what I say instead of what you want to do. And so because I need your help, 
right? And it makes me uh, race better if if I know that you're on board with doing what I what I need to do. All you got to do for the next like I told her like all you got to do for the next hour <laughs> is say, oh, okay, I'll do that. And what do you need now? Like that, and then just try to do whatever I do. And but now we got we got a rogue agent out here. It's like you don't want to do this. You need to do this. And I'm like, oh crap. And uh, so it set off this bad mood because we're arguing over this. And then we started arguing over which street to take to get to the parking garage. And it would have just made a terrible recording. And Kai's in the back seat, like, going, "Geez, you people! I thought we were supposed to be having fun. This is a race." And um, and yeah, so that was uh, that was getting to the race site. <laughs> um, and then everything was fine after that. But that was our opportunity opportunity to record actually everything was great after that uh what like 10 minutes of arguing and then um let's see uh some tips so one first here's another tip don't argue on the way to the race course i guess uh, plan it out ahead of time or something i don't know but um one thing i did a couple things i did i bring my own pump and uh, to inflate my tires before the race and also a headlamp headlamps are awesome for transition areas early in the morning when the sun's not up and you need to see the air pressure on your pump for example and you can't see it because it's down there with all the tires and the darkness and the shadows and um and also just looking through bags you know you're trying to see into a bag in the dark well guess what it's really hard to see your power bar down there in the bottom of your bag to make sure that you got it when you um when you can't see it so a headlamp is awesome um but then we had some pump drama. Um, there's a problem with bringing your own pump is not everybody brings their own pump. And then everybody starts asking you for your pump. And by the third person that was in line to borrow my pump, I told myself, because I'm, I'm nice, you know, and I'm like, I love helping people. That's why I do a podcast. And I'm like, uh, well, uh, Okay, next person to ask you, you got to say no because you got to go finish doing your stuff and you got to get to the swim start. You know, I'm trying to start at the um, towards the front of the swim start. I don't, I've never done a rolling swim start at an Ironman before with 2,000 people. I don't know what's going on. I need to get down to the swim area and it's a mile walk down there and time's getting close. And the uh, so I told myself, next person that asks you for a pump to borrow your pump, just you have to say no, sorry. Okay, so then I told myself that. And then within like 30 seconds, hey man, can I borrow your pump? <laughs> or he asked the guy that's using the pump that's the that's still got two people in line after him. And uh, uh, he points at me and he says, well, it's actually, it's his pump. And I go, man, I'm really sorry, but I can't, I got to get going. I got my family waiting for me over there and we need to get down to the water area. And, and I've already got two other people in line for the pump. I got to go. And then, uh, the guy was like, well, that's cool. And then he, he looked at me for a second. And he goes, Hey, you're Brett from, you're the Zentri guy, right? And I was like, ah, oh, crap. I just told a show fan, um, no, <laughs> you know, it's kind of like being asked for an autograph and going, I don't have time for that like that. And I felt like such a dick. And I was like, Oh man. And I told the guy, I go, man, I'm so sorry, dude. Uh, I gotta, I gotta go, man. And so to that guy that asked me, um, I feel terrible about that. Um, but I had to go, but at least know that I, that, um, how I feel and that I, I wish everybody could use my pump all the time. I'd bring my pump. I would become a volunteer at races and just bring a pump and just walk around with it if I could. Okay. Then, um, 
let's see, we walked down to the start and that's a mile walk. So Kai and Emily and I are walking and we're not arguing about anything. We're having a good time. And it's actually a lot of fun because you see there's all the talking going on around you about everything that's going on. And then, um, then something uh, bad happened where we're, you know, you get race numbered. Oh, at Ironman Texas, you don't get race numbered at the bike area. You get race numbered at the swim start, which is really, really smart. I like that. In and out of the transition area is so fast, so smooth because they don't race number you until the swim start, which is a totally separate area, which is smart. So uh, we're walking uh, down there and the line for the bathrooms is just terrible. Even though there is a ton of porta cans, the line to get into the porta cans was stupid long and moving so slowly. And I just want to go bang on the doors of porta cans and go, hurry up, man. <laughs> we got to start anytime. And also, the line for the swim start to start lining up, and they do like the marathon placards, you know, it was like sub one hour, one hour to 110, 110 to 120, right? There's there's like somebody standing over the signs. Well, it crosses paths with the lines for the porticans. And this is, you know, first time error because it's the first time they're doing that. But man, it's like, it's bad, it's bad uh, alignment. And uh, so... I'm standing there in line. I got to pee so bad that I got to pee. And the uh, the way the swim start goes is there's no getting into the water for a warm-up. So normally where you could get into the lake and kind of swim around a little bit and pee before the swim start, well, now this doesn't exist. So you got, if, if you uh, roll into the water after the swim start, uh, I can't race in the, you know, start racing and peeing at the same time, I would have to swim off to the side and then pee for a while, and then and then start swimming, which which uh, adds another you know minute or two to your time, I guess I don't know. And then um, I'm like, well, this this sucks. So I'm in line at those porta cans, uh, trying to pee, and that sucked because I finished peeing, and then within like two minutes, um, but because this is how long I had to wait in line at the porta cans, within two minutes of that, the uh, swim started and it was way too stressful. Like I was like not having fun at that moment whatsoever. So I need to work on that. Uh, I'm not exactly sure how, except to go behind some bushes and pee in a bottle or something. And then I don't know what to do with that. But then uh, also Emily took a, um, I made a fuel bottle, uh, dry fuel that I would add water to later. And uh, she took that bag over to the, it's a run special needs bag. She took that over there. And oh yeah, the transition area, because of all the rain, was a complete mud pit. I mean, it was terrible. Um, well, not so much between the bikes, but in the middle aisle and on the side aisles around the bikes. And let's see, um, the swim start was also... Um, you know, like in years before, they have a helicopter flying overhead, and instead of that, they had a drone overhead. And I thought that was really, really cool. The uh, helicopter is awesome because it makes you feel like you're doing something awesome because it is really loud, and it's flying around, and you're like, this is a big deal. And uh, the, while it's awesome, I guess for some people, it might be a little bit stressful, and the... Um, 
the drone was kind of new technology and it was very subtle. It was just kind of flying over there somewhere. And I'm sure it was getting just as good uh, camera footage. And it was just neat, you know. And, and um, Iron Man took the money that they didn't spend on the helicopter and gave it back to the athletes. Ha! <laughs> Not. But it, if you are a race director, uh, it might be a way for you to get footage that... Uh, I'm sure you all know about this. You've thought about it plenty. Get some good race footage and stuff uh, on the cheap. So that was pretty cool. And I will start up. Oh, wait. There was a, uh, they, they were doing announcements uh, before the race. The uh, nun that's done, you know, Iron Man's forever. I think she's like 83 years old was in the race. That's the, it's got to be the second or third race I've been in with her. And then also they now, they announced a guy that had done 120 Ironmans. And uh, he raised his hand. I was standing, you know, within 10 feet of him or something like that. And it, uh, later on in the race, when I was really struggling on the run, and the crowd cheered, right? And I'm really struggling on the run. Uh, that guy crossed my mind. That was really, really helpful. Because I'm like, um, when you, he's done 120 Ironmans. Nobody asked him how fast he went. <laughs> You know, it was just like, this guy's done 120 Ironmans. You don't have to be fast. The, the 120 Ironmans in itself is quite an accomplishment. So when I was really, really struggling on the run and uh, I was just like, man, you know, I was considering DNFing because I felt so sick to my stomach and I was just like, oh, and I was starting to blister under my feet and the heat and the trudging and it's just miserable. The, um, I was like, this is this will give you, nobody cares, uh, you know, when you do, when you've done, this will go, this will move you up from 13 to 14 Ironmans. And, um, nobody asked that guy how fast he went on his 120 Ironmans, what his average speed is or anything like that. They just cheered. And I was like, man, you just finish an Ironman because finishing an Ironman, just finishing is such a huge thing. They are so hard there's a reason they call them an Iron Man, is because they're ridiculously hard, and just finishing is okay. And sometimes you got to go. Sometimes you go for speed, and sometimes you go for volume, and that's that. All right, let's go ahead and move into the swim start. But first, let's talk about Amrita Bars. Okay, Amrita Bars has been a long time sponsor of Zen and the Art of Triathlon. And I am super to have them as a, super happy to have them as a sponsor because they are super healthy and they are date based with seeds and a little bit of fat in there, like all the good stuff to make you feel great. I race in an Amrita kit. People love the Amrita kit. Uh, they got the socks and the jersey and it, just everything about Amrita just keeps me super, super stoked to get in the calories that I need and to... It, in a way that's that's super healthy is just great um arshad has been an interview on the show before the owner of amrita bars uh he's big into um using whole foods and health and nutrition to make your life better and you can get amrita bars which is their main product you can get those online at amritahealthfoods.com and you get a discount by putting in the discount code ZEN, all capital letters, Z-E-N. Go to AmritaHealthFoods.com, make an order, put in the discount code ZEN, and you get 15% off. 
It's awesome. I just got some new Amrita bars the other day. Pineapple chia. Like a bar spilled out of the box and I ate it. Because <laughs> I was like, uh-oh. I better not let this bar go to waste. And Emily was like, well, it's still in the wrapper. And I'm like, I don't care. It could have gone, it, it could fall right out of the wrapper at any minute. So I better eat it. That's how good they are. They're really great. And actually, I'm finding that eating the Amrita bars, um, eating one in the morning after I wake up, have a cup of coffee, eat an Amrita bar slowly, and then uh, roll into my morning workout uh, has really leveled out my blood sugar uh, going into workouts. It gives you some nice uh, complex carbohydrates and fat and protein and a really easily digestible package, which uh, just feels great. So I love it, man. Absolutely love it. A real nice turnaround in the training fuel in the morning using Amrita bars. So again, discount code ZEN, all capital letters, at AmritaHealthFoods.com, A-M-R-I-T-A, Amrita, and you get 15% off. All right, let's go back to the swim. Here we go. All right, we are back on it and on the swim. Here we go. They fired the gun. I don't remember what they did. That's how much chaos it was right at the beginning, but not in a bad way, just action. And uh, everybody kind of funneled in down a, kind of a boat ramp, makeshift boat ramp with carpet down it uh, between the poles and the uh, overhead banner and slowly filtered in. I tried to get way towards the front, um, but still letting a few people in front of me and quite a few people in front of me. So maybe I was, you know, 50th in or something like that in the water. And I couldn't find the timing mat as we went in. So I have no idea where it was. And I don't really like that. I'd like to know where the timing mat is. <laughs> couldn't see it for the mass of people. But um, we rolled in and then started, uh, started swimming. And it was cool. It was actually really, really cool because it was nowhere near as crowded as it usually is. It was still a little crowded, but it wasn't that bad. And... Yeah, uh, I could find clear water on occasion for a while, and uh, it was just uh, it was just nice, man. I'm so glad for it, and they still got everybody in in just a few minutes, it seems like to me, the, the way everybody was piling in. So it didn't seem like it was uh, that much of a difference between a mass start and a, a rolling swim, except for the, uh, the ability to warm up would have been uh, really, really nice. I think they should have let people warm up. And then if you wanted to, when you started to race, you got to get back out again. I think that would have been nice. No warm-up is uh, not cool. I don't like that. And let's see. I was just swimming along and having a good time. The, uh, my swim track on my Garmin 920 uh, ended up being uh, relatively straight. So uh, I was real proud of that. I did a lot of uh, heads-up swimming in the pool and a lot of uh, kind of open water swimming in the pool before the race, uh, uh, the, the two weeks or the week, uh, before the race. And what I mean by that is I, um, I swam in a pool with no lane ropes and just swam circles for half an hour, <laughs> which is giving your, your, uh, body no, uh, rest for your shoulders, like pushing off the walls. And it's a much better open water simulator. And it was actually really cool. So when it came down to doing the Ironman swim, it was no big deal whatsoever. It was actually, uh, I was actually enjoying it quite a bit. Um, I had something crazy happen where I thought my race was going to be a freaking mess. Uh, the rush of trying to get in to use the porta potties and then uh, hit the swim had me yanking on my zipper on my Amrita jersey. And my, uh, 
my zipper came undone in a way where I thought my jersey was broken. And I thought, how in the world am I going to do an entire bike ride with half of a jersey? You know, like, oh man, I, I've never, I, <laughs> every race, there's always some kind of new thing where I'm like, oh, this is a whole nother, whole other new way to completely ruin your race that I've just figured out. <laughs> <laughs> and that happened to me, but then I got my jersey back together. But that's a little bit of the stress uh, going into it that I, I didn't like. Um, I, uh, I was just cruising along, bumped into some people kind of here and there, but nothing big. I got annoyed at one guy who kept sw- trying to swim into me and kept trying to swim into me. And I looked over him, and on his other side, it was wide open, and he kept doing it. So eventually, I just uh, swam over him. <laughs> and got to his other side and uh i i just loved the look on his face whatever he he sat up i looked back and he was he was like breaststroking like uh looking around going what the hell just happened i'm like yeah dude quit bumping into people when you have room on the other side um i was shocked that i was passing people as easy as i was swimming uh even starting out way towards the front and uh, all i can uh guess is that people overestimated their ability and uh were uh were blowing up already on the swim and that happened uh, quite a bit um the other thing was well i guess we'll get to the garmin issues in a little bit um i ended up swimming an hour and three minutes and change and um the race winner only swam a 55 you know um so the guy that won the overall race only swam in 55 minutes so it just shows that you don't have to kill yourself out there to um to win these things 55 minutes is not like a crazy fast time and he ended up winning the whole race and it was nice and um yeah all right let's uh take a break here from the swim and uh we'll come back in a second i gotta pick up kai from triathlon practice he's on his bike i gotta go get him all right hold on all right, we are back, and we're actually on the road because if I don't record this thing while I'm driving, then we are never going to get this thing recorded, and we got to get it out there. Um, let's go ahead and start with the uh, the bike, but let me wrap up the swim real quick. The, uh, the coolest thing about the swim is when you're swimming down the canal, there is a... Um, a whole bunch of people on either side and there's a bridge or two that goes overhead and they're all lined up and that is super super cool uh, every breath you take every move you make every smile you fake the uh it's cool looking up and seeing people cheering and clapping as you swim by it's kind of neat above you kind of looking down on you is kind of odd but you know whatever and then um anyway so come out of the water and you have to walk up some steps, sort of, and then you run, and then they hand you your bag as you go into the change tent. And in the change tent, it's already a mud pit in there. Lots of grass and mud all getting mixed up, and you got to put on your cycling shoes and get going. Um, which is very unfortunate kind of way to have things. And I would think Iron Man would have just tons more carpet to put places just invest keep investing in carpet take all your money that you didn't spend on the helicopter and put it in carpet (laughs) you'll use it over and over and over again anyway um so i get to my bike and i uh kind of yeah i find my bike uh, in the transition area spend a little bit of time the days before and the morning of 
um, kind of making sure using landmarks like a tree here and a person, uh, not a person, that's not a good landmark, they move. Um, trees and bushes is what works around there of uh, where your bike is. And yeah, that's how I found where I was supposed to go. And I picked up my bike, turned on my bike computer and hopped on and started riding. And um, you go down uh, the street for 20 seconds or so. I don't know, maybe a minute, probably not. And then you take a turn and you go down that street for another 30 seconds or so. And right then is when I just got past I'm just hopping on my bike and going for a nice 112 mile bike ride and I get passed by I think it was two guys that what are they uh, a, a third of a mile into the bike rate bike portion of an Ironman and they are just barreling through this thing like so screaming fast heads down taking taking the next turn in front of me you know as fast as possible uh, and I was just like, man, dude, what do you, what is this? A sprint triathlon? What, what are you guys doing? So I had two thoughts. I had several thoughts in my mind. One was, well, there's your Kona qualifier types right there. Those guys are hauling ass and they're going fast enough to do it. Two, those guys are going too fast and, uh, they're going to blow up. And then three, um, boy, those are the kind of guys that you used to try to go with sometimes on some races and then uh, you would blow up. So, uh, interesting that they just, uh, 30 seconds in the bike ride, I'm being passed at guys going literally twice my speed. I was like, that's weird. Anyway, um, let's see. We, uh, oh, I look down, I'm, I'm, I'm pedaling along. And after a while, I uh, well, I turn. I have two bike computers. I got my wristwatch. I got the Garmin 920, and I also have the um, which I use for the swim. You know, and I hit the lap button to transition area, and then I hit the lap button again to get out of transition and start the bike. And um, I look down at my bike computer. I have a Garmin 510 between my arms on the uh, on the bike. You know, hard mounted to the bike. And it's reading off all kinds of numbers. It's all happy. It's got a power meter. The day, uh, the day before the race and the morning of the race, I spun my wheel, which has the power meter in the hub, and then uh, turned on my bike computer and my watch and made sure that it was reading off something so I didn't need to replace the battery and the power meter like I did last race. Had a dead battery. And then um, so I'm, I'm on the bike, and the uh, power meter's reading off numbers, and my heart rate strap is reading off numbers and I'm like, nice. And then I look at my watch on my wrist and it's reading off time and distance and that's it. No watts and no heart rate. And I'm like, what the hell is going on? And um, a little while later, look at it again. Yeah, it's not reading anything. It never, the Garmin watch the Garmin 920 XT, the the best watch in the universe, supposedly. The one he man would wear in a triathlon is uh, reading nothing except for what it can find out in clear space, which means it's not picking up any my heart rate strap or my power meter. And I'm pissed, and I'm like, God dang it, man! What's going on with this thing? And um, 
I think the watch is quirky where if it doesn't pick up stuff early on just right, then it won't pick it up uh, for the rest of the, of the thing. Ooh, there was an accident here. And I'm driving through all the glass. Somebody rear-ended somebody, it looks like. And both cars have been dragged off the side of the road. Um, so uh, I'm very, very thankful that I ride with uh, two computers, one, one on the bike and then um, one on my wrist. And this is because over the years I've had, um, I've had stuff go wrong. And over the years, I've, over many, many, many years, I've managed to acquire two, two devices. And so I ride with both. I think last year when I did Ironman Texas, I forgot, I forgot to bring my bike computer, but I still had my wristwatch. And uh, so I rode by my watch instead of all my numbers on my bike computer. For example, you can forget things, you know, stuff doesn't work. So anyway, I had my backup. And it turns out that was really handy because... Tawny's impression was that I overbiked, um, and I had the bike computer uh, picking up all those numbers to show that I didn't. So I'm riding along, and I'm, I'm just uh, going super casual. And there's uh, there's kind of nothing big going on whatsoever. And uh, all of a sudden, I feel a little bit of burning on my hand. I look at my left hand, and somebody had clawed me on the swim, and now my hand's bleeding. <laughs> I was like, "What the hell is that?" And, uh, that was interesting. Um, I don't even know what to make of that, that I got cut up on the swim. And then, um, after a while on the bike, you know, there's, you're, there's all these interesting characters and I saw two, um, characters on the bike. Well, there's three, but, uh, two characters that are funny and then one that I'm pissed off about. And the, uh, the uh, the first one that passed me that was funny was a guy on a bike that was a little the bike was a little bit too big for him anyway I think and then he had his handlebars positioned so that he was like in the Superman position so his arms were more straight than they were bent and his arms were way out in front of him and the reason I noticed this was he was all over the road because with your try steering your car or try steering your bicycle with your hands way, way, way out in front of you. And um, it makes you really off balance. So he was wobbling all over the road. It was really bizarre. And he was an older guy. He looked like he was about 45, 50 years old and in shape. So I don't know what in the world he was thinking. You would think somebody like that would be smarter than that. And um, it was actually dangerous I like to call him the unicorn cyclist because it looked like he was riding with his hands out on the end of a unicorn horn to steer this bike. And a uh, nice bike and everything. And uh, and like I said, looked like a super fit dude. And he... Um, the wobbling uh, was dangerous to other cyclists, kind of. Like, uh, you didn't want to get near him because he might sideswipe you uh, because he was always losing his balance and then trying to get his balance back. And it was a windy day. And then... Uh, <laughs> um, uh, when he would go through an aid station, he was all over the place. And uh, he was a cyclist that I noticed because he stood out so much that it went out too fast. And a little while later, I passed him back. And then there was another cyclist much later on that had his aero bars so low in the front, it was the opposite. Instead of 
up and out so far. They were down so far that his hands were within a few millimeters of touching the front wheel. So it was like the front wheel was grazing his hands. His uh, They were so low. His error position was so low on the bike. And I thought that was uh, really bizarre, too. It's really, really weird. All right, I got to go into W to the ER. Okay, we'll catch up in a minute. Out, bang. All right, we're back. It is, what is it, Thursday morning? And we're at the pool, just wrapping up a swim. We're going to talk more about the bike here in a second. But let me put my uh, my swimsuit into the uh, Nissan Xterra roof box here. First swim uh, since Ironman Texas, I think. And uh, just taking it easy. Uh, swam 50-something minutes, continuous. Just nonstop. Just cruising along. Cruising along. Uh, around 3,000 meters. Just over 3,000 meters. And here we go. All right, so I'm on the bike. Ride with me as we go to work. I'm on the bike and um, looking down at my power numbers. I'm like, all right, let's just cruise around uh, 270. Well, not 270. Oh, my God. No way. Um, Let's cruise around 200 because um, first off, there's some criticism on uh, slow twitch forums and oh my god i've never in my life lost trust in humanity after people saying stuff about my uh my race on uh, slow twitch that uh had no idea about anything and uh some people uh, i got quite a few comments and uh and actually some private messages of people that were like that uh, were really helpful and useful and then uh, some other ones where I was like, oh, my God, you guys could not be more wrong about something. And it made me, I had a flash of insight. We talked about enlightenment on the last show. I had a fly, flash of insight of, Jesus, man, if you're not the person doing it, then uh, you have no idea what actually happened. And to never have an opinion <laughs> about what actually happened unless you were there because... Uh, it, it just it was just blew my mind. I was like, oh my God, I so many times have decided that I knew what happened and gave advice on something when, um, uh, on like, say, for example, slow twitch when, uh, and judged something when uh, I thought I knew what I was talking about. And this couldn't have been more freaking, uh, uh, I couldn't have been more wrong because uh, people saying, some people saying some stuff on slow twitch couldn't have been more wrong it was absolutely freaking mind blowing one that my that i don't i don't listen to tawny and two that uh i overbiked which was so wrong and tawny and i talked about it on the on the last episode it was actually outrageous and it hurts man you're like what the hell dude what what do you know you know and then so i learned my experience with that was a real thickening of my shell on uh, what people say to you over the internet because I've now lived through people having no freaking clue saying what they're knowing what they're saying on the internet and uh, so therefore only believe in about uh, 5% filter it down I said like 2% I tweeted something like 2% and somebody said no actually statistically there's been research on this it's 5% <laughs> 
so double it, but still, it's horrible. Like uh, how how uh, incorrect people are. So don't listen to anything, basically, of what people say on the internet. And uh, anyway, so uh, one thing was uh, power uh, watts. Um, I didn't go to the into this much on Tawny's show, but you, somebody, you know, some people are like, you don't know your, you don't know your threshold. You judged your, uh, you judged your power curve and all, or your power meter stuff uh, on old data and whatever. And it's like, man, if I could give a three-hour class for a semester <laughs> every day on power meters and how they work. And how they, I've been using one since 2006. I had a personal class on how to use a power meter and how to evaluate watts and everything else by Alan Lim himself in person in Boulder, Colorado. Um, All I do is research power meters. I've been using, yeah, since like 2006. And um, I've gone, I've used power so much and analyzed people's power curves and my own and yeah, coaching clients and watched for growth and used every single software package out there to analyze all that stuff that I've actually come around full circle and uh, got away. I learned that uh, one thing is chasing, you end up chasing numbers all the time and it ends up ruining your training. So you kind of need to back off from overanalyzing your power meter stuff. And I'll give you two examples why. Um, uh, one, I'll just give you a, a pro. Uh, I think it's Sebastian Keenley. Was uh, he doesn't race by power because he found that he and trained by power, and he won Ironman Hawaii. And it's because he found that he was uh, it led him to overtrain. And that's I'm, I'm we're talking a lot about overtraining recent, you know, lately, but. I know I have the tendency to do that, so I got to stay away from looking at the power numbers too much. And then what I do is I, I kind of check in on them on occasion, and then I downgrade my estimate by a percentage or two, you know, by quite a few percent, percentage. Like, um, I feel like my at analyzing everything and testing that uh, my, my FTP is 280 watts, so I'm like, you know what, just to be safe, let's just say it's 270, you know? And... Um, what people will normally do is be like, well, I bet I could squeeze out more if I had a really great day. So they'll be like 290 and that's the wrong way to go. And then also, um, Gord, Gordo Byrne, um, who's Ultraman wizard, uh, has taught classes or I don't know if he teaches classes, but done lots of online, uh, discussion about power meters and you can go out and do 20 minute tests, 30 minute tests, um, but all that, but you get really good at testing, and it's different than uh, using a uh, power meter in um, in the real world. So what you should do, like if you do twenty minute tests on a trainer, you get really good at doing twenty minute tests on a trainer, and on race day, you're not as good as riding the open road, and you're gonna have uh, worse results. And you're going to overdo it because you think your watts should be better than they are. There's things like if you do a power meter test and you do it uphill, actually you squeeze more watts out of the bike. Um, there are all kinds of stuff like that. And, uh, and then there's weather conditions and, and everything. So a, uh, what Gordo teaches is you go out and train and then you look at the watts that you're putting out, uh, and that 
lead you like an open road rolling terrain similar to your race course uh, with up and down and with um, and also look at those watts and then uh, when you run afterwards how do you run afterwards and those are the kind of watts that you sample and go okay these are my these are my uh, uh, you know my FTP so I had um, in the fall I had a race Ironman 70.3 Austin where for an hour during the bike ride I put out 272 watts for an hour right and that's your FTP is what your best you can do for an hour so I'm like 272 watts and then I um, all winter and all spring all I've been doing is increasing is working on my bike and increasing the watts so I'm probably up to 280 285 290 or something like that but I'm like yeah, maybe, probably. I mean, I, I I'm positive that I am. And all the testing and the and the uh, riding that I do uh, shows that I'm actually stronger. Real world resor- results like uh, snagging uh, Strava KOMs away from people and stuff. That's real world. And then, um, uh, so just to be safe at Ironman Texas, I'm going to say my FTP is 270, right? See how I rounded down a little bit just to be safe because I want to have a, a nice run. Okay, so then that's a whole freaking, uh, uh, what do you call it, power meter drama. So anyway, and then, uh, so I'm riding along uh, uh, 270. If uh, Then you estimate um, based on your fitness and, and how much risk you want to take. It's kind of like investing uh, it's a sliding scale on what percentage of your FTP that you use. Uh, it's anywhere 65 to 75. To, if you're a pro, you can do like 80 something percent of your FTP on the uh, on the race because the faster you are, the shorter the bike ride's over, so you can get away with using more of your FTP. You know, and I'm like, well, I'm gonna be safe. 70 percent is kind of low average, kind of you know, kind of meh, kind of like a C, C plus. <laughs> Uh, estimate. So I'm using a C plus estimate of how hard I'm going to go. Uh, very conservative, uh, how hard I'm going to go off of a conservative uh, FTP uh, uh, estimate, right? And so I'm like, okay. And that ends up being around like, it's like 190 uh, watts, 195, I forgot, of 270. So then, um, I'm biking along and also studying all kinds of uh, power curves, power data from races, from pros, and people that share this stuff. Um, you do go a little bit harder at the beginning of the bike ride, that's okay, and then you kind of taper off and, and gently uh, don't go as hard um, the second half. And I could see how somebody could you know, argue against that, like a negative split it or something like that, whatever. But, Anyway, it's just natural human tendency to go a little bit harder in the first half and then kind of taper off the second half because you're excited and you're full of, you know, energy and stuff like that. So I'm, um, I'm riding along and we got a tailwind on the way out and it's, uh, I'm riding at 205 normalized power. And normalized power is a formula that looks at surging and multiply multiplies your uh, your um, your actual watts by a little bit of a percentage based on how much surging you do 
and um, you should try to keep that down to a minimum. You keep your normalized watts as close to your um, to your actual watts. Um, uh, if you're doing long distance uh, time trial, uh, flatter road uh, style riding, as opposed to like pack riding where you're lots of surging and stuff like that with a with a peloton over a sprint. Okay, so uh, I'm riding along 205 watts, I'm cruising along, and, uh, and um, then the I guess I'll wrap up the watt stuff now. Uh, so I'm uh, and around the turnaround point. Um, you know, the headwind, uh, it's not a turnaround point. It's a big loop. But anyway, on the way back, the, um, the loop goes back into a headwind, massive, massive, massive headwind and really strong. A lot of people are having trouble with it. A lot of people complain about it. It's really windy. Uh, a lot of people all over the road. It's actually a little bit dif- difficult steering with uh, a disc and a, uh, and a, uh, 404 front wheel. And, I got pushed around, blown around a little bit. But anyway, I just look at my power meter and I let my power gradually drop over the next, um, you know, on the way back, uh, gradually over time. So, you know, 205, I think my normalized power ended up um, going down to 195 average on the way back. But what you do is you ride into the headwind, your instinct is to push harder, and then you don't want to do that. So I just watched my uh, my watts and uh, made sure that I wasn't going, I was actually going as easy as possible on the way back so that I had plenty of energy to run and, um, and positive splitted it <laughs> big time so that I would have, I really backed off on the way back so I would have plenty of energy to run uh, in my legs. And uh, I was having trouble... Uh, I needed to pee, but the course isn't really hilly enough to get a long descent where you can actually pee while you're on the bike. And I tried a few times, and so eventually I just quit. And I pulled over to the side of the road somewhere after the halfway point. I peed a couple times on the bike, but only kind of like half peeing because I had to start pedaling again or else I'd fall over because I'm coming up the next hill because the hills are so short. And uh, so eventually I said, you know, F this, and uh, got off the bike and went into a porta can and peed. And it was funny. I got out of the porta can. There's a guy there. I laid my bike on the ground when I went in. And then uh, uh, when I got out, there was a guy standing there with my uh, bike, <laughs> which was pretty cool. <laughs> he goes, here you go. All right. And uh, when I come back, we're going to do a little bit of standing up against uh, drafters. I had a little incident on the bike ride that you got to check out. All right. Out. Bang. Or something. How do I turn this thing off? All right, I'm back. <laughs> Man, such a triathlete in training podcast. Only time to record is when I'm actually driving. So uh, I learned from a mentor of sorts, a professor, years and years and years ago when I was highly impressionable, impressionable to stand up against things and say something when... Uh, when somebody is acting totally incorrectly and that it's harmful to the community, to the environment, or something like that. Just get in the habit of standing up and speaking your voice and correcting somebody when you see something that's wrong. And I've had to do it a few times in my life. And every time I've been extremely glad that I did. And um, so what it leads me to is... uh, 
I was uh, pedaling along and uh, through the National Forest there, Sam Houston National Forest, which is real pretty, and big pine trees and everything. The bike ride's just cruising along. I'm uh, less than halfway through it, I think, like, say, mile 40 or something like that. And just having a good old time, just riding along, watching my watts and, and uh, enjoying the, uh, the trees and everything, and passing people and people passing me and, you know, just keeping it mellow. And... All of a sudden, behind me, I hear talking, and like a lot for a while, for like a minute or I don't know, whatever. And I'm like, that sure is a long time for a lot of chatter between two people. And um, and I'm like, what is this? Like some kind of group ride or something like that? What in the world's going on? Why would somebody be talking like that? And so I'm I'm not really listening because uh, I'm trying to focus on my own stuff. But then I couldn't help but hear certain phrases. Such as, uh, and it was one guy that was doing most of the talking and being uh, uh, kind of loud and and uh, and uh, it could really pick him out, voice wise. And he said he was saying things like, "I draft all the time, every single race, ev- as much as possible. I like to draft. I draft as much as I possibly can, and I do it." all the time. Draft. I draft. Ha ha ha. Oh, it's so great. Uh, that's what I do and I draft. And the other person was just kind of like, eh, okay. Uh-huh. Like that. And I thought, that this is, this is intolerable freaking behavior by somebody. I, I kind of look behind me to my left and there's two guys and they're riding kind of side by side, one of them kind of behind the other a little bit. And, um, and uh, I slam on my brakes to, to drop me back to right next to them. And I go, I go, uh, and I could tell which one it was that was talking. And I said, so you like to draft, huh? You say you like to draft all the time. And he got real quiet. This guy that was bragging about all this stuff, you know, just uh, all of a sudden just sh- just shut up. And well, uh, uh, and I said, really, you think it's really cool that you draft all the time in this race where people is a race of non-drafting. And so you're sitting there breaking the rules and you just really like to draft, do you? And uh, well, uh, that's uh, uh, and, and he wouldn't say anything of substance and then I said I looked over at his race number I'm just making up a race number now I don't remember what it is but I'm like so number 20 2632 you're the guy that likes to draft I'm sure the race officials would really like to know all about you and how much you like to draft and that you brag about it to everybody and then uh, he goes oh it wasn't me it was he's the one that said that and he pointed to the other guy and the other guy just looked at me like whatever and then uh, then uh, I go okay well 2632 uh, Mr. Drafter, I can't, I can't wait to tell everybody about how much you like to draft. And uh, he goes, uh, he just shut up and then pedaled off as fast as he could to kind of get away from the guy that wouldn't tolerate it and was standing up against such stupid behavior. Um, it is such bullcrap when people draft, and when it happens in races. It's hurting. It's hurting the race. It's hurting uh, Ironman. It's hurting all triathlons. Um, it's dangerous. It's it's so freaking unbelievable. And it's up to people. It'll continue to happen until culture is 
people will, won't tolerate it and will call it out whenever they see it. It's a hard battle to fight um, because drafters tend to go faster and so they pass you as, as you start to do it and you gotta watch out. You don't wanna get into fights with people and be passive aggressive where there's stories where people will take uh, other people's water bottles off their bike and throw them into the bushes. That was a good one from Kona last year. And uh, you're gonna draft like that now you won't because now you don't have any fuel or water because it just took it off your bike. That's that's uh, that's borderline assault. You know you don't want to touch anybody or anything, but you want to stand up and say, "I'm not going to sit here and tolerate this and not say anything." If and hey, if if you're so behind it, then uh, behind the whole drafting thing, then uh, you won't have a problem with me telling everybody out there about how much you like to draft, right? And if you try to hide it and pedal off and deny it, well, then you know it's freaking wrong. You really know it's wrong and that you shouldn't be doing it. So, all right. <laughs> that was my moment of like, of, of like, man, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna tolerate this. Anyway, so then uh, I let it go as fast as I could and let it not bother me too much um, during the uh, race because I've got my own race to do and um, I did what I could, and if I if I focus on him and what he's doing, then uh, my mind is with him and not with me, and I just uh, let it go. And I figure I'd talk about it on the podcast, and that would be closure, and that's it. And you people out there can do whatever you want with that. Uh, anyway, so let's see. I'm pedaling along. Um, halfway point of the bike uh, was a marker. Oh, and training. I did um, a bunch of longer rides, not a bunch, like three really long rides, uh, four hours, then four and a half hours the next weekend, and then five hours uh, the next weekend, and my estimated time was somewhere around five and a half hours, so I knew that I would just do another training ride plus another extra half hour, and that would get me there on the bike, and that would be nice, and um, so that, that kind of training actually really paid off. I was really happy with um, the level of effort and like how long I felt like I was having to be out there. Um, with about an hour and a half left on the bike, I um, oh my heart rate was nice and low, like 130 uh, was nice. And uh, with about an hour and a half left on the bike, I started noticing how hot it was getting. It was getting brutally hot. And I also do the uh, Ferris also tan thing where I use the back of my tri shorts, the butt crack, as a uh, bottle cage. Um, <laughs> I don't know if I'd call it a bottle holder. I wouldn't really call it a bottle cage. But I would go through an aid station and grab, uh, when it started getting hot like that, I would go and grab uh, two water bottles, um, one every, uh, every hour. Or uh, one, there's one every 10 miles, pretty much, on the aid station. So I grab two water bottles, and I would uh, try to drink one-ish, and then use the other one. I started pouring it over my head and on my arm coolers and on my body, and it really did uh, keep me a lot cooler. It's pretty smart. I wish I had one of those helmets with the water port on the top. That would be pretty cool. Um, for these really hot races, you know, I put your race number on the front. Well, the vents on the front of my aero helmet, I cut the race number so that it doesn't cover up the uh, vents too much. Hardly at all, actually. And then also for fuel, I did um, maltodextrin and hornet juice. And it was about 300 and something calories per hour, like low 300s. And uh, sea salt, about half a teaspoon uh, per hour plus a little bit extra of sea salt. 
in my uh, mix and my fueling was going along just fine towards the end of the bike ride i was getting kind of turned off from it didn't really want that much more um, and i didn't try to push it too hard um, and then with half an hour on the bike ride left i uh, i quit drinking fuel altogether and uh, because i've learned that's really good on the run and it does it works and it worked during this race really nicely up to a point and then um there was something else. Oh, I have a between the arms aero bottle uh, on the front, a X-Lab torpedo bottle. And my first hour's worth of fuel was in that. And then that turned into a water reservoir after I emptied that. And the um, then I had a frame bottle, uh, an aero bottle. Uh, God, who makes it? Chrono? Anyway, an aero bottle on the frame that had the rest of my fuel in it, uh, concentrated for the uh, rest of the hour. And I would, um, take a sip and the, the, that bottle had markers on it for, uh, you know, for each hour. And I would drink only up to at most the marker for the hour and then uh, drink a whole lot of water with it to, uh, to uh, get more, uh, or to dilute it and also to get all my hydration. And it was working really, really nice. And then uh, there was something uh, crazy on the uh, bike ride. I saw um, the Honey Egypt Road uh, section on the way back. There was a pothole that you would have never seen. And it was just, I well, I, what, what stood out my mind is we saw an ambulance way up ahead on the road. And I was like, what in the world is going on? And I'm riding along, riding along. And I'm like, oh, it looks like maybe there was a bike rack up ahead. And then, um, then I see this pothole. It had to be several inches deep and, you know, like a foot or two across, but the asphalt around it had never cracked. So it was just smooth and, um, a smooth hole that the problem is, is with it being so smooth, you never would have seen it coming until it was too late. And let's say you were riding with one hand, uh, pouring water over your head, you know, uh, or drinking or something like that. If you hit that thing, it would effed you up, man. <laughs> And uh, I've had, I've hit stuff like that. Kai was asking me about that the other day. I'm like, he was asking me about uh, riding around town. I said, I said, I said, uh, man, I've wrecked here, I've wrecked there, I've wrecked there, I've wrecked there, I've wrecked uh, over there, and I've peed over there. We're out driving in the countryside, looking at a time trial course. And he's like, really? And I'm like, yeah, man. And he goes, how'd you wreck? And I said, I don't know, just sitting up on my bike, and then bam, hit a pothole. Oh, I was trying to show him where there's a bump in the road. So when he's doing time trials, uh, he he doesn't hit it and wreck, uh, surprisingly. And, uh, so anyway, uh, apparently a guy, and then I call it a yard sale. Whenever uh, a lot of people call it that when you wreck and then you, you're all over the road and all your gear and your equipment and, and uh, your bottles, <laughs> food are all, are all, all spread out all over the, the shoulder of the road. And one time I did it, I was in the middle of a highway and, uh, but it was real quiet. There wasn't a car for a while. And, uh, and it's called a yard sale. Everything's out there. And um, they were loading a guy at the, uh, from this pothole, just, uh, you know, 100 feet down from the pothole. They were loading a guy into an ambulance, and he had a busted up arm, man. And they had, he, was in a, he was on a gurney. He was kind of sitting up. So I think he was okay-ish, like conscious-wise. But he was out, totally out of it. And then... Um, then after the race, uh, the guy that won first in his age group, I guess, like, let's say 25, uh, 29, I forgot what age group it was. Um, that guy wrecked on his bike and broke his elbow. 
but it's a um, it's a bone apparently that's uh, the best. If you're gonna break a bone in your elbow, it's the best one to break. But even though it was broken, he managed to finish the bike ride, and then run, and then ran a um, a winning uh, race and won his age group and qualified for Kona. I think he won his age group. But anyway, he qualified for Kona. It's pretty crazy. All right, I got it to uh, run an errand real quick, and I'll be. Uh, right back with more uh, bike wrap up and then going into the run and also we need to mention a sponsor uh, sound probiotics it'll be cool hold on all right we are back on the bike oh but let's talk about sound probiotics every day i'm taking a sound probiotics pill which is a super easy to take pill doesn't taste like anything it's a little tiny little pill little capsule and the probiotics are the good stuff for the good bacteria in your gut, and theirs are engineered for athletes. And not only is your gut happy, but the major side effect is your guts are the 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 bacteria in your guts are like something like seventy percent of your immune system. And guess who hasn't gotten sick since I started taking sound probiotics once? This guy. And guess what? really ruins your training and your racing. It's getting sick. And I know that Rachel Joyce is taking sound probiotics. A whole bunch of pros are taking it. A whole bunch of everybody's taking it because they're engineered for actually athletes and the kind of food we eat and for our bodies and for what we need. And it is so easy, so simple, so much uh, cheap insurance to make sure that uh, you don't... Man, when you're sick, you can't take care of your family. You can't go to work. All kinds of crap starts happening. Your life starts coming apart. So don't get sick and help digest your food properly and get the right guts, the right bacteria in your guts and get some sound probiotics. Uh, They are 10% off at soundprobiotics.com. Hey, there's a Honda Element, a squirrel moment. (laughs) There's my my old Honda Element, the blue one. Anyway, uh, 10% off at soundprobiotics.com and with discount code ZEN, all capital letters. Go check them out. They're a great supporter of the show and uh, really love having them on board. Easy to do. And we got some more uh, food and nutrition uh, people coming along, along with Amrita, coming along really soon. That'll be in the next episode. We'll talk about that. But let's go back to the bike. Um, talking about precautions and such, uh, the one thing is putting on sunscreen out there and uh, in the bento box of my bike I have a squeeze tube of sunscreen and uh, with a flip top so I just flip it squeeze some on my on my quad area of like let's say my uh, left leg while I'm pedaling along and then I rub it in my leg and then I take the extra and rub it on my neck and then a little while later I squeeze some onto my other leg rub it into that leg and then rub it onto my and rub the extra onto my face and then a little while later I'm wearing arm coolers but uh, let's say onto my shoulders, one shoulder, and, uh, and then onto my back of my hand, you know? And I just kind of rotate around whenever I kind of think about it, putting on a little bit more sunscreen and uh, moving. Wherever I haven't put it lately is where I put it next. And it's nice, man. It works really, really well. You got to watch out a little bit for getting sunscreen on you, on your hands, and then um, not being able to control your bike. So I tend to do it on an uphill segment sit up on my bike put on a little bit of sunscreen and it works really really well so the tip here is get a small bottle uh, with um, a flip top lid that you can um, 
uh, you know, hold with one hand and squeeze it and then put it back in the bento box and then start smearing it around. And uh, that way you can keep pedaling and not have to pull over to put on sunscreen. And if you don't put on sunscreen, you are going to be a mess uh, and be scorching, burning hot. You know how like when you have a fever, how hot you are? Well, that's going to start happening if you don't protect yourself with sunscreen. Your skin's going to start reacting and getting red, and that's going to make you even hotter, I think, and make you kind of a mess. So you don't want to be like that, so put on sunscreen during the bike. And guess who didn't get a sunburn at all during the race? This guy. I was trying on a t-shirt today, and I was looking in a mirror, and no sunburns, no tan lines, nothing from the race. Got a little bit darker, but definitely no sunburn. Okay. Um, downside of the, of the uh, bike and the race is um, I was definitely feeling uh, symptoms of burnout on the bike because you're having to go so slow and you're just pacing yourself and it's a 112 mile bike ride. You're just kind of like, Bleh, you know, um, you're having to hold back so that you have a good run. It's a huge mistake to try to race the uh, bike portion of an Ironman, I guess, unless you're like the best of the best pro, then uh, maybe you can hammer it, but not this guy. <laughs> and probably not you. <laughs> and uh, so just, uh, I was just sitting there going, man, you know, all this training and all this stuff for this, you know, I'm just kind of pedaling along for five hours and six hours, whatever I'm going to be out here. And uh, I was not into it whatsoever. And, um, but I, I wasn't hating it. I was just not into it. And, um, there's a difference, like real burnout, real bad burnout is you're like, I am hating this. And I was not like that, but I was definitely kind of like, I'm not into this, which is a sign. Um, ever since I had a real bad burnout episode a few years ago, I think it was 2011. Um, I've paid really close attention to that. And, uh, when I start getting symptoms of burnout, that's when we need to start pulling back. And we talk a lot about that on, uh, on uh, Tawny's episode of Zendurance. And um, and so I was like, yep, definitely after this race, I'm going to pull back and not do much for a little bit and just kind of settle down. And we're going to talk about that in future episodes about how to do that. I've got some really good tips that really work nicely and that I'm doing right now that work on that. And uh, But yeah, so burnout on the bike. But I wasn't that worried about it because um, we're about to head into the run, and the run's going to be a real shit show. <laughs> it's going to be a scene of just chaos because of the uh, the fans and the shearing and all that stuff through, through most of it. It's pretty nuts, and um, it's fun, and, and it's way more social, so it's, it's actually uh, pretty good stuff. Um, then, uh, let's see. Uh, at one point on the bike, I passed at least one female pro, which I was really excited about. Because male or female, if you're a pro, you're pretty freaking badass. And for me to pass you means I'm doing really good. <laughs> and uh, I use that as kind of a benchmark. I'm like, man, if I pass a female pro. And plus, I'm always excited to see pros and meet them and stuff. And I think she was number 61. So um, if you see uh, whoever was number 61, I didn't look it up, in the race. And she smiled when I passed. And I, I said, good job. Keep going. And... Um, uh, it's not that much harder. It's not that hard for a guy usually to pass a girl on a bike. The way guys are built versus girls. Guys, uh, you know, are faster on the bike than girls uh, with less effort than you would think. Um, and then it goes back to the run, and girls just, you know, crush us all over again because they're freaking beasts out there. Uh, run is a weight penalty, and the bigger guys, you know, have to that were fast on the bike um, now have to uh, 
don't have to run with all that weight. And then the girls pass them back. I'm sure she passed me on the run probably several times. And then, uh, but that was pretty cool. And then um, there was a funny sign on the side of the road. And I, I, that sign's been there for a while. And I knew I'd seen it before, but I forgot what it said. And this time I remembered it. <laughs> it's like this country sign that's like, you know, hand wood burned into the, into the wood. Um, that, and it said, uh, no shoulder, no cyclists. And it was hanging from a tree and it was just a hateful, um, sign. Uh, and it looks like the, I didn't notice as much stuff this year as I have in years previously of anti-cyclists, anti-Ironman stuff out there, you know, local, local yokels that, that hate, uh, cyclists out taking up taking up their road and, and think that they're going to be aggressive and mean towards cyclists is actually going to do anything and it kind of galvanizes the cyclist back and um so it doesn't really help but no shoulder no cyclists uh the road we were on at that moment had no shoulder on it and so i guess they were trying to say hey jerks there's no shoulder on this road so there shouldn't be any cyclists so quit biking down this road because there's no shoulder I'm like, dude, this road that we were on was so quiet and uh, it would be a huge waste of resources to put a shoulder on it. And if you happen to be one of the 10 people that year to drive down that road, then um, I'm sure you can easily go around the cyclists. The uh, law, at least in Texas, is uh, you need to treat bikes are essentially like slow-moving farm equipment. And so what you do when somebody acts like that is you ask them, like say at work, Somebody's like, man, I hate those cyclists that block the road. I hear that every once in a while. And uh, it's like, without skipping a beat, you say, "Uh, what do you do when there's a tractor driving down the road? Uh, Do you honk at them and yell at them to get out of the road? Well, no. Well, what do you do? Well, I wait and I go around. Okay, bikes are classified by the Department of Transportation or DPS. That's Department of Public Safety. That's the highway department as slow moving vehicles, exactly the same as farm equipment. So all you got to do is just imagine it's a tractor. You already act appropriately into a tractor. So just wait your turn and go around. You don't shake your fist at the farmer, you know, who's driving a tractor down the side of the road. You just wait until there's opportunity to pass, which is usually instantly in like 30 seconds. And then you go around it, go around them. It's uh, super calm and the smart thing to do. Anyway, Kai pulled one of those on me uh, and Emily uh, yesterday. I was telling him about, um, he was looking at bikes on the internet. And he goes, um, what about this bike? And I just started laughing. I go, Kai, that's an $11,000 bike. <laughs> it said so next to it. And he goes, well, how much is your car? And I go, uh, I don't know. It's a Nissan X-Terrace. run, you know, up to like 30000 And uh, I go, I don't know, like twenty to 30000 And he goes... Well, it doesn't cost anywhere near as much as your car. <laughs> and I was like, oh, man, this kid is a cyclist through and through, man. He's already rationalizing uh, expensive bikes by comparing them to cars. And, uh, and he's right. It's freaking funny, man. Okay, it's a good argument uh, tactic. And then um, you take the thing that somebody is already used to doing, and then you compare your thing to that. And then they go, oh, well, I guess it isn't that bad. Okay, then um, I tried uh, two new things on the bike that uh, is, you know, that thing, never do anything new on the bike. Um, But uh, it wasn't totally, totally new. I did a few trainer rides with the stuff and uh, tested out to make sure. um, And I was running down to the wire um, of 
of uh, making changes before the uh, race, and I was letting stuff slack. That was another sign that I was getting kind of burned out. You know, I said I didn't clip, I didn't shave my legs with the clippers until the lat, until we were getting, we were leaving the hotel to go do the race that morning. That's when I decided, oh yeah, I need to do my uh, leg clippers. <laughs> and there was some other stuff too, but um, uh, uh, God, like a week before the race. I have my new cycling shoes, which are lighter, which will make you faster because it's less weight. It's less rotational weight that you have to push around with your legs. Um, I was going from nylon, old nylon, heavy shoes to, um, to, uh, what are they? Specialized, um, Trivent experts, which have white carbon on the underside and they're white and they're super, super ventilated, like super ventilated. And I was like, man, for this race with all this heat these are really going to help like a lot. If they do, if I, if something doesn't go wrong, they're going to be great. <laughs> so, and then, um, so I did a few rides uh, on the trainer with those and I was really worried. I was like, man, I'm going to blister with these. I've never ridden more than an hour with them. It's really starting to scare me. Uh, bolts could come loose from the cleats and stuff, but after two rides, nothing went wrong. I was a little bit bothered by them a little bit, but I was like, you know, by race day, I'm going to be pedaling easier. Even though it's longer, I'm going to be pedaling easier. I don't know, man. You know, it was real touch and go with those. That was a, it's probably a dumb decision, but it ended up being okay because nothing ever went wrong with the shoes. And then the other one was um, Zip uh, and Tri-Rig make a computer mount where if you combine the two of them, your Torpedo Aero Bottle... Um, or any bottle that you want is now hard mounted to your your aerobar extensions and now there's a computer mount in front of the bottle and the way my how long my forearms are and the way I sit on the bike this thing is perfect I love having a computer between my hands and this thing set it up wonderfully with exactly where I wanted it to be and um and it's nice and arrow, and everything's trimmed up and good. And so I rode one trainer ride, a couple trainer rides with that on. And um, I'll have to post some pictures of it eventually on my uh, Instagram feed. I'm Zen Triathlon on Instagram of what this looks like. And um, everything held together and is nice. And even after the race, everything's still tight and, and well-made. I'll have to uh, talk about this, this uh, setup uh, because it's actually really smart if this is uh, how you like stuff. So, uh, yeah, look for that. Okay, I'll be back in just a minute. I've got uh, some stuff to do real quick, and we'll talk about T2 and going into the run. It was actually a lot of fun. All right, hold on. All right, are we on? Are we on? Kai, are we on? I hope. Okay, so we just had something really special happen. Kai and I went and did the local time trials for the bike club out here, and it was 20K, which is 12 point four miles or something like that and a person in front of me is sitting on their butt at a green light and the um so kai went out there with me it's open road it's really intimidating it's a country road but it's open to traffic and it's an out and back and it's on half of it is on chip seal and it's got hills and we had a headwind going out so it is really hard work and if you remember earlier i said the best way to to get watts so that you know what your actual um, uh, uh, functional threshold FTP is, is to actually go out and ride and ride hard and then 
on rolling terrain. So this was a perfect example. This was out and back, um, and it took me 30 minutes and 30 seconds on the dot. And so there's a formula for your FTP if you do a 30-minute a time trial, and it was I averaged 299 watts for uh, 30 minutes. And so your FTP is something like uh, I'm not. I don't. All right. And are we still recording? We're still recording. Okay. So then, uh, uh, so basically 300, well, 299 watts, right? And then uh, there, now I have my watts uh, for a while for uh, FTP, right? Whatever, I think it's like 95% of a 30-minute test is a, um, gives you your, um, your FTP. Um, so let's see, off the top of my head, that would be... Um, yeah, uh, 95% of that would probably be around 285 or something, I guess. I don't know. I'd have to go look it up. I need a calculator. But anyway, Kai wrote it too, and Kai did it. He's the youngest kid, I think, that's ever done it, and you did it in 5150, mm-hmm. right? And the, um, how was it? You did great, by the way. I was so impressed. Okay, quit sucking the milkshake down for a second. All right. What? Wait, what was the question? <laughs> how was it? Oh, uh, very awesome. Okay, how did you approach this race? Remember the tips I gave you? What what kind of stuff did you do? Ride easy first. Ride easy first. And then you attack the hill. And then I attack the hill like a. On the way back. Like an elephant. Yeah. Or a donkey or a llama. Yeah, elephant, donkey, llama attack, yeah. like Pokemon attack, shape of elephant, donkey, llama. Yeah, and you did really well. Everybody was waiting for you at the end. You went first, right? And everybody went off in minute intervals, mm-hmm. right? And uh, I got first place overall. I was super stoked. I think I did. We'll have to check the results. And uh, I there, there's people A and M. Texas A&M is in the town that we live in, so there's people from all over the world here, professors and researchers and stuff. So there was people from Brazil and Italy, I think, and Spain that were here. And um, the guy that holds the record did it in like 25, 26 minutes, something like that, like last year, I think. And uh, and that guy's brother is a cat. He, I think this guy's a cat one, and that guy's brother is in the Giro right now racing and got ninth today whoever that is so uh it's all good man hey kai thanks a lot man thank you you're welcome yeah it was such an honor racing with my own son our first ra- dude is that our first ever race together we're actually racing each other i guess yeah yeah it begins how about that dude i'm so proud of you man super super proud of you mommy's gonna be proud too all right we gotta go out bang all right we are back I am super proud of Kai yesterday. Um, I don't know if I mentioned it earlier. Uh, you know, he's 45 minutes into this thing. I ride back to where he was uh, finishing up and to catch up with him. And then, because uh, it was an out and back. So when I finished, I rode back out to where he was. And then I'm riding the rest of the way with him. And I said, Are you doing okay? And he goes, Yeah, why? <laughs> I was like, I don't know, because you've been riding your ass off for almost almost an hour and then uh what was the other thing i said uh oh he goes after we were done he goes daddy can i race it next time and i'm like you weren't racing and he goes no you told me to 
take it easy. So I did. And I was like, well, I figured you'd still kill yourself. So, uh, Oh, I got the hiccups. Just ate an Amrito bar. Oh, my God. Okay, I'm leaving Kai's elementary school. Uh, they just did uh, elementary school graduation, which was really cute. And Emily, Emily only cried a lot. <laughs> All right, let me, uh, before we get into T2, let me tell you about something that I like. Uh, Chris Haig called me up and we were talking and he said he is getting into coaching and Chris Haig is super fast. He's a young guy. Um, I'm trying to guess about how old he is. Maybe he's 28. Maybe he, I think he's about 28. But anyway, he used to run, I think track for Sewanee, University of the South at Sewanee. And he is crazy, crazy fast. And he's one of my good friends. He's been on the show a bunch of times and he's very accomplished. Uh, he's very much an elite triathlete, and he started coaching. And you can find out more about Chris at chrishagracing.com. There's Emily and Kai in the car next to me honking. And I honk back. Oh, they're having so much fun. And uh, the glory of living in a small town. <laughs> you just happen to be next to your wife and kid in the car next to you. And uh, uh, let's see, Chris Hague and yeah, H A G U E, like the Hague. Chris Hague Racing. And I'm honored to have him ask to uh, be on the show uh, as a, as a uh, sponsor uh, so that y'all can find out all about him. If you want an enthusiastic, super bright guy, as sharp as a whip, and super fast coach that's really into the sport, he's worked at a triathlon shop uh, and all the racing background in college and all that good stuff. Um, and like I've always said, pick a coach that inspires you. Find out more about Chris Haig at Chris Haig Racing, H-A-G-U-E. Super glad to have you on the show. Okay, back to T2. So I'm coming off the bike. Legs are a little tired, but that's expected because you just rode a freaking Ironman bike ride. And um, I guess average watts for the whole thing was probably 190 or something like that, right? And uh, I'm... Uh, uh, getting off the bike, and then I realize, oh yeah, I got to decide. You know, do I want to wear my uh, shoes off the bike, or do I want to wear my socks, or whatever? And the um, the place is a freaking mud pit, right? So I'm like, well, I guess I'll just wear my shoes, and that way I'll keep my socks mostly dry. And I get off the bike, and uh, I kind of fast walk it uh, through the transition area, trying to keep my feet kind of clean. And um, Emily said something like, are you okay? Because you're walking. Or maybe she asked me after the race. And I go, no, I was fine. Like, uh, I was walking because I got a, I got a uh, Ironman to run. I got a marathon to run. There's no point to, uh, to start uh, running my ass off through transition area and fall down or something like that. Um, I got a bike and a helmet and gear. And I'm trying to hit stuff on my watch, you know, and walking a little bit. It's always smart to walk a little bit of that Ironman marathon as soon as you can. And so that's where I decided to walk it, was uh, through mostly walk it. Kind of jog walked a little bit through the transition area. Uh, last year, people burned their feet on the pavement from not wearing socks or shoes and then walking across the pavement. And uh, so I decided to wear my shoes just to be safe. And um, so even after all that, uh, I took off my shoes shoes. Oh, I did take off my shoes after I grabbed my run bag. I figured I'd made it through the muddy part. And then I go to the T2 tent 
and it's full of mud and now I'm in my socks and I'm like god damn it <laughs> after that effort of trying to keep my feet clean now I'm back in the mud again and uh, so that was a little little interesting and uh, not cool um, so I'm getting changed in the tent I don't think I went to uh, I don't think I went to pee in the uh, in the tent anywhere um, I don't think I needed to quite yet and there's lots of porta cans on the run so that really wasn't an issue so anyway I started off the run feeling really 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 good I was like oh man um, stomach's not upset I don't have sloshy stomach I've uh, I haven't fueled the last half hour on the bike so everything's kind of digested I mean as much as possible and um, I've been hydrating and salting and you know just cruising along and I decided to run uh, this is my method. I'm going to run for a while, and then as soon as I start feeling any fatigue whatsoever, then I'll uh, run walk, and I'll do the four and a half minutes, thirty sec, four and a half minutes run, thirty seconds walk, four and a half minutes run, thirty seconds walk, and also walk the uh, aid stations. Right. So I'm jogging along, and I'm only like a mile or two into it. Uh, let's say a mile and a half, and then somebody on a bicycle behind me goes. Um, number three female coming through. Number three female coming through. And I was like, oh, uh, I wonder who that is. And I turn around and look, and I can't really make out who it is. But there's somebody with awesome shoulders, a chick, powering through down the down the trail. And it's kind of hard to make her out around the through the trees and stuff like that. So I asked the guy as he passed by on the bike, I go, is that Rachel Joyce? And uh, he said, yep. And I was like, oh, cool. And then so as Rachel went by, I said, uh, go Rachel Joyce. It's Brett from Zentry, you know, because we just had a conversation. And uh, we're talking about meeting each other on the run. And she was so in the zone. She didn't look up, smile or anything. And I just laughed to myself because it's like, that's what it takes. Like these people are racing and everybody's saying, go Rachel. Hey, it's Billy from from Billy.com or, or whatever. It doesn't mean anything to them. They're so focused. Um, but Rachel looked badass. And uh, she was probably on lap two, maybe. Or maybe lap three. I don't know. Um, interesting interesting thing about Rachel. Uh, Angela won. But Rachel was trying out a different uh, bike technique. So while Angela dominated the race... Um, Rachel was trying out something different and new and said that it, she thought she might have been faster if she didn't do it. She tried to keep an even pace on the bike and not react to what other people were doing on the bike. And um, after her post-race interview, I think she got third, was um, third or fourth. No, second? Oh, crap, I can't remember. It's been two weeks now. And uh, she said that uh, that really didn't work for her, that um, uh, she probably would have gone fat, probably would have gone faster. Um, back the other way and Rachel didn't need to win the race I think to, to make it to Kona so um because you would think oh well Rachel uh, Angela beat Rachel so Angela and it's conditions exactly or worse than Kona so the um so Angela would probably be uh Rachel but no not exactly Rachel wasn't racing the way that she usually races so who knows man it's gonna be so exciting at Kona all right I need to go into W to the ERK so we will be back let me find the off button here we'll be back in just a second all right I'm back Okay, so I'm taking off on the run, and um, 
Of course, on the run, my Garmin decided to uh, still not record any heart rate. <laughs> so it's not showing me anything. But actually, I wasn't all that worried about it. I was feeling good, and I was actually running really, really easy. I wish I had the heart rate, but it didn't bother me too much because I was feeling, I was actually feeling really, really good. And I'm running along, and my first mile split comes back because my watch was auto-splitting, and it was like 10, like a 10-minute mile, 10 and a half, something like that. And I was like, ah, crap. That, and I was running at a pace that I was like, if I run any faster than this, um, that's dangerous. So I'm just going to run at this mellow pace. And whatever I get is what I get. Because I'll save for running running faster for later in the race, um, you know, like the last few miles, you know, trying to kill it. Because if I do that now, I'm going to blow up. And um, so anyway, my whole point is I was just running mellow and I was happy. And what it takes to um, run uh, long without cratering. And I've got lots of experience running 50 milers and stuff and, and, uh, even a hundred miler, you know, uh, you gotta go a lot slower than you think you need to. And, um, oh, there's a squirrel on the road. Squirrel moment, literally go dude, carry that nut. There you go. You got it. And, um, so, oh, for a moment, um, oh, uh, pacing time wise. Uh, so I was like, Oh, you know, if I run like, um, so 10 minute, uh, 10, uh, 10, a low 10 sub 10, um, Ironman is out the window at this point. As soon as I started the run, I was a couple miles into it. I was like, yeah, that, this ain't going to happen. But a sub 11, which would be a PR for me was, uh, totally on the table. I'm like, man, I am hardly putting any effort into this run at all. And I might go sub 11. Uh, the time, if I kept doing what I was doing, I'd go sub 11. So I was super happy. I'm like, this race has got PR written all over it. I feel great. Stomach's happy. Everything is just great. And, um, and then after a while, there started to be a little bit of cloud cover, uh, coming in and a little bit of, um, uh, a rain cloud started coming over the horizon and that was just super epic i was like oh my god man if it starts raining holy another guy like pointed it out he goes look at that dude look at that and i was like oh man i hope it rains it'll be so awesome because it'll cool it off and actually a uh, side note a few days like two days after the race a cold front freaking comes through Oh, and uh, also on the run, um, after the day after the after the race, I went back and looked at the humidity and the heat. And this is without taking any consideration of the um, the re radiation of heat off the pavement. This is just air temperature at the you know whatever the weather station, which is out of the way, um, and uh, humidity. So it was like it was eighty six. It was like 86 degrees, and I forgot what the humidity percentage off the top of my head. It was like 80% humidity or 70 high 70% humidity. Anyways, the uh, the heat index was 106 degrees in this thing. It was absolutely freaking brutal. And then that rain cloud just kind of disappeared and went away. I was like, damn it. <laughs> but anyway, so I'm running along, and I'm like, man, I might go uh, sub-11, uh, just cruising along, having a good old time. And I'm looking to see if I have my workout shorts in here. I guess I'll find out for sure in a minute. Because uh, after I eat at Freebirds, I'm going to go lift some weights. And then um, I think it was around mile nine. I was like, 
oh no, my stomach is starting to feel sick, right? And I was like, oh, this is not freaking, and it's a three loop course. So I was about halfway through the second loop, not quite, but getting close through the second loop. And I was like, oh no. I'm like, how? How can my stomach get sick? I haven't even done anything. And uh, it was fine at the start, which was a major success story. Having my stomach feel fine at the start of an Ironman, that's pretty rad. And I was just like, man, what in the world's going on? This sucks. My stomach's starting to hurt, for real? Are you being serious? And um, so I would mixed in a little bit more walking and a little bit more walking. And still, with mixing in more walking, I couldn't run uh, without almost throwing up. And it was making me lightheaded. And these are actually really dangerous conditions. You're talking a heat index of 106, and you've already biked 112 miles, and now you're halfway through a marathon. And um, in a race situation, you can really push your body too far. And um, and I had to be super aware of like not letting myself fall into that trap and, and get uh, so ill that I needed medical attention. And so I was like, man, just be careful. Just back off the pace. Whatever you get is whatever you get. Um, you know, the heat, it's the freaking heat, I guess. You know, I don't know what was going on at the moment. And uh, so, I, so I ended up freaking walking, even though I didn't want to. And then also my legs were fine. They were, oh, there was, they were so fine. You know, like I was like, oh my God, I could totally run, but I'm totally... If I run, I'm going to freaking throw up and puke and uh, just become a freaking mess. I might pass out from the heat and get heat stroke, uh, heat exhaustion. I was starting to get heat exhaustion. And um, then, what was the other thing? Um, Then, oh yeah, then I got to the point where I couldn't walk fast without um, starting to uh, throw up. And that's crazy, man. When you can't, when you can't push the pace walking without almost throwing up, and these are real gentle hills, like like nothing. It's I mean, it's basically flat. And um, I was like, man, and it, and it really, really scared me that I might have to um, that I might have to drop out DNF out of the race. I was strongly considering it. I was feeling so sick to my stomach. I was having to slow down to a slow walk, medium walk and, and, uh, and pushing the pace and just, uh, you know, and, uh, without throwing up and, and, um, then on the, when I was wrapping up the second lap, you kind of, you kind of go, you can definitely hear it. You kind of go past the uh, finish line, sort of, you can't see it or anything, but you can hear all the commotion and all the awesomeness going on. And, um, the two thoughts that crossed my mind were, um, if you can keep walking, keep going. There's people that are going to take 17 hours to finish this thing. All you got to do is walk another lap, um, and you'll be all right. So if you can walk, keep going. And also, um, if you DNF, you don't get anything, right? You don't get any Ironman points. Uh, you don't get to say that you did another Ironman. Um, you're out, you know, and, uh, you don't get those all world athlete points, you know, all that crap that you spent all this money and time and training on. You don't get to say that you did another Ironman. And that guy at the beginning of the race where they said, 
hey, there's this guy here that has done 120 something Ironmans. Um, that guy, that moment, like really stuck out in my head. And it's, you know, sometimes, sometimes you're fast, and some people are more about uh, you know consistency and uh, volume. And that's their thing. You know, everybody's got a different thing of what they're good at. And I was like, man, maybe you're just really good <laughs> 11, 12, 13 hour Ironmans and just doing lots of them. Hey, you know, maybe that's your thing. And uh, so I was just like, just keep going, just keep going. And um, so the looping and seeing that, uh, having that finish line nearby to remind me of the glory of actually finishing uh, kept me going. So then I started out on loop number three. Here we go. So an Olympic Hello. Oh, wait, stop. That's Vinny talking. Hold on. All right, we're back. That was weird. <laughs> I'm leaving the gym. Uh, got a gym membership, working out at lunch. Uh, just doing just a little bit, like half an hour of weights almost every day, just to break up the work day. And did calves, uh, quads, and bench press with uh, barbells instead of a bench bar because it's a little bit harder. I'm trying to keep those things balanced. Works you over pretty good. All right, after going to Freebirds, getting the burrito, and we're gonna try to wrap up this run. I uh, was on the run, and Emily and Kai came out and saw me on the second loop, and also on the third. But uh, when I was feeling down, you know, and struggling really hard, uh, one the other thing that really lifted my spirits was the look on Kai's face. Man, he was. He didn't care that I was walking or if I was crawling or anything. Just the whole scene of this insane environment, this race with these people acting like maniacs, the crowd. And uh, it's just so crazy and so much fun that his eyes were so big. He was, I go, are you having fun? And he goes, yeah. That's <laughs> like, yeah, it is pretty cool, isn't it? And that took the edge off a lot and was like, yeah, dude. I mean, from the eyes of, in the eyes of a child, in the eyes of a child, like this thing was insane and awesome and cool. And don't quit, man. Keep going and finish. And um, so that was good. And then also, um, if you don't power walk a lot, you'll end up getting blisters on the undersides of your feet when you do and when you have to do it a lot and you haven't trained for it and your skin's not used to that kind of uh, shifty motion. And uh, that's another ultra running experience right there that um, is slightly painful. And the, um, oh my God, dude, I had blisters after my first 50 miler that were so bad all over the undersides of my feet. And so when, at the beginning of the third lap, I stopped into the med tent to put Vaseline. They said there was Vaseline in the medical tent right at the uh, right after the uh, start of the, each lap. And uh, I, it was funny at the at the edge of the tent because it's right up next to the course. I stood on one side of it, this little barrier, and I go, "Okay, if I go in there, am I disqualified? Or do I DNF?" And they go, "No." And I go, "You sure?" <laughs> and they go, "Yeah." And I go, "Okay," because I know I don't want to get disqualified for getting medical help. You never know, like at a race. Uh, always ask. And then, um, so I crossed over. I took off my shoes and socks real quick uh, and put, uh, they just had like a 
yeah, they had the big jars of Vaseline, and I just smeared the undersides of my feet with uh, Vaseline, and they were starting to blister just barely, but they were getting really hot, and it was really, really painful, and it sucked. I was just like, oh my god, this is starting to hurt, and if I got to do another you know, nine miles or whatever with this, like this, I'm screwed. I, I do not, you do not want blisters all on the underside of your feet. You're going to walk like an idiot for, for, um, for like a week doing that at least. I mean, it is bad. Uh, cause I've done it. I've been that idiot. So, um, so I put stuff on uh, Vaseline, lots of it on the underside of my feet and then kept going. And uh, also, um, halfway through the, um, the second lap, I remember I picked up my fuel bottle of uh, fuel, but I never ended up using it anyway. Um, and I had it powdered, and then I just added water as I was running, but I never ended up using it. And um, another thing that was interesting was the um, the number of pros that dropped out uh, was crazy. Um, Jordan, Ra- I mean, like really, really top end pros really top end pros, uh, Jordan Rapp and, uh, Raylert both dropped out. Um, just not having a good day. Uh, the heat is, uh, definitely a factor in that. I mean, that, that heat will just mess you up. And I was missing, uh, seeing Brandon Marsh out there. That would have been really cool. Uh, seeing how he won the swim last year in like 46 minutes or something ridiculous like that. Um, also, oh, and your, uh, special needs bag during this race are really easy to get. And, Let's see. Oh, I saw Heather Jackson on the last lap of the run. That was really cool. She was smiling and waving, and uh, she didn't she didn't get top three or whatever. But I think she got like seventh or ninth or something like that. It was really cool uh, seeing her. I'd never seen her in a race before. Um, the uh, day before the race, I saw Wadi Inc. riding around his bicycle and tweeted about it, which was funny, and um, in the parking lot of a grocery store, and. That's one of the things that gets really cool about getting into the sport is once you start knowing who's who, they're everywhere um, during the race. And uh, once you know who they are, it's pretty amazing. When you know that that guy right there is the fastest guy ever to do a, an Ironman a triathlon, uh, that's uh, pretty special, you know. And he just blend, uh, Raylor just blended right in with everybody. He walked off away from his bike and just blended into everybody else uh, the day before the race. And um, base salt. Uh, had a big, they had their own aid station and it was a big deal. They were handing out little, these little salt canisters. Um, so they're like the size of a lipstick, like a chapstick thing, but the, the lid is a pop top. So you can't lose the lid and you tilt it, you lick your thumb, tilt it upside down. Then you get salt on your thumb and then, uh, keep going. And, um, they work great. So I grabbed two canisters and uh, kept them because <laughs> I'm going to put my own sea salt in them because I really can't see that much difference between base and sea salt. I'm sure there might be a small difference. and uh, But regardless, uh, it's a really convenient way to get salt. And I finished the race. Um, never... Okay, if you finish a race and then you crave salty foods like potato chips and pizza and... Um, yeah, salty, savory foods after the race, uh, which has happened to me many times. Um, I've finished races and eaten like three smaller bags of, of uh, salty potato chips and Doritos, uh, chicken broth because it's super salty. Um, that's a sign that you didn't take in enough salt during the race. So what you do is you, uh, as you're racing, 
um, you preemptively take salt, like half a teaspoon per hour of salt is usually a pretty good measure. And, um, but then if you start craving salt during the race, on top of that, uh, take a salt pill. And there's a company called Thermotabs, which is super cheap and it's just salt and hard pills. And then um, put it in your mouth and chew it up. And this is kind of like the base salt stuff. You chew it up in your mouth and let your mouth just get hit with that awful, just super saturated with salt because you actually absorb the salt supposedly uh, through your tongue and mouth more than your guts. And um, if you do like like two of those an hour or one, it kind of depends. Anytime you crave something salty, eat one of those and that'll get rid of the craving. And that means you're back on track with your uh, salty your salty intake. And Christine Lynch, who's going to be on the show pretty soon, was saying it actually helps you digest your food better. You know, it's an electrolyte that helps everything work better. And your fuel will not work unless you um, have salt in with it. And yeah, I think that's it. So uh, the uh, by the last uh, couple of miles of the race, the sun was uh, starting to kind of get behind the trees and it cooled off a bit. And I was actually able to start running again, um, which makes me think my issue was totally heat related. And I'm, uh, I stopped feeling as sick to my stomach and I started run walking and then run and then, uh, uh, running more and more and more. And like the last, let's say most, it's a little bit uphill. So I walked a little bit of a hill, um, but mostly the mile. Uh, but basically the last two miles I ran, walked and walked and ran more of it as I got to the finish line and then crossed the finish line running and looking good. And I came in just under 13 hours. It's 1254, maybe something like that. And that was super cool. I absolutely loved it. It was good stuff. And Kai and Emily were waiting for me at the finish line and I didn't throw up, <laughs> which is always a plus. And I uh, went over and got some pizza, but which was interesting as I wasn't really craving it. I got some pizza, and I'm trying to remember what else I got. Um, got Kaya water, and then we started walking back to the uh, car. And I sat in the car for a little bit, and Emily went and grabbed my bike. And then we went to the hotel, and when the uh, we got to the hotel, we were up on the second story. And uh, I was joking with Kai that I'd race him to the hotel room. And he goes, okay. So we started running to the hotel room. And then I ran up a flight of stairs up to the second floor and was fine doing it, which uh, puts further, um, gives me further ammo that, to the argument that um, my legs were fine. It was, it was the heat and fuel and, uh, that uh, slowed me down because... Uh, if, if your legs were trashed and you overbiked and because I was like, dude, I, when I was walking, I was walking next to a guy for a while whose legs were just cramping. He's like, man, my legs are cramping up and like my legs are trash. They hurt so bad. And, um, I didn't really say anything to him about it, but I was like, yeah, you overbiked, dude. That's, that's overbiking symptoms. Your legs are just smashed and you can't use them. And, uh, and I told him, I said, what's really frustrating for me is my legs are fine. My stomach is what's killing me. And, uh, that's a different kind of problem. Uh, same limiting issue just F's you up. And uh, so anyway, by the time um, we got back to the hotel, my stomach had settled enough and I ran up a flight of stairs. 
<laughs> which uh, would be really hard to do if your legs were trashed. And I did it, and I was just fine. And then um, for the few days after the race, I got constant comments from Emily and people at work and people that I know that it looked like I didn't do anything. I wasn't limping. My legs didn't hurt. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I'm really pissed off that they don't because that means I didn't get to use my legs to the full extent that I trained them uh, to to do and uh, that was not my limiting factor my limiting limiting factor was my guts and the heat which kind of sucked so anyway well my, you can't do much about that at the moment and we're working on that now and we'll get more with that later all right i'll be right back all right we're back and uh there was a couple of things on the run that i uh, forgot to mention and uh, <laughs> One was a guy on the other side of the uh, canal started yelling at me. Um, I think he was on the other side of the canal. I don't know. But this just shows how crazy the run was. Um, well, there was a few people that were like, oh, man, where's that sub-10, dude? Like, are you a Zentri guy? Come on. You're not going to do that sub-10, huh? Like <laughs> that. I was like, yeah, I know, dude. It sucks. And uh, I just kind of laugh it off because... Just going as fast as you can, man. And still, it's pretty awesome out there doing an Ironman. And then the um, this one guy yells at me. He goes, hey, Zen, try. Zen, try, Brett. I'm doing the arm cooler uh, water, ice water trick. Man, it's the best. And I was like, what? And uh, he was doing the thing that I always talk about. Um, you run with a uh, water bottle train running with a water bottle and then you train dribbling the water over your head while you're running and dribbling ice water you get ice at the aid stations put it in the water bottle and drink on it drink it I mean and then also pour it uh, dribble it over your head while you're running and it cools you down significantly it is awesome and um, I think next race I'm going to work on drinking ice eating ice to um more than what I was doing. I was doing a little bit, but even more to uh, make sure that I'm, I'm getting plenty in. And maybe that'll cool me down even more than what I was doing because what I was doing wasn't enough, but is it physically possible to do enough? Uh, I don't know. And then um, in those conditions. And the, um, the other thing that happened was I was run walking and a young guy that was in his early 20s named Steve uh, started talking to me and he said, Hey man, I'm a fan of the show. And I was like, Oh, cool. And we were talking and then his dad was uh, riding alongside of us in the subdivision on a bicycle and, uh, not pacing, just kind of hanging out, uh, because there was no point in pacing cause we were both kind of run walking a little bit. And, uh, um, at some point, he started going a little bit faster than me. He was feeling better and started going a little bit faster. I almost caught him towards the end, though. I thought I was going to catch him. And then, uh, but he said, uh, all right, well, I'm going to keep on running. And I go, hey, do you want to Do you want to get our picture together? And uh, he said, yeah, man. Um, and so his dad pulled out his, uh, his camera phone. And um, I said, uh, tweet me the picture which he did. I need to find it somewhere. And, uh, I'll have, uh, then we can use it for the show. And, uh, I, I want to see the picture and it's a picture of us pretending like we're running <laughs> together. <laughs> I think I've already retweeted. It. it was pretty funny. And the, uh, his, 
his dad's like, I don't know how to, what is Twitter or something like that? And Steve, Steve just kind of rolled his eyes. He goes, oh, my dad doesn't know how to use the internet and all that. And I said, um, oh, it's just a, it's a way to talk to other people that, that are, um, that are kind of, uh, kind of into the same stuff that you are and you can talk to them about it. And, uh, <laughs> his dad gave the classic answer that I slowly find myself uh, turning into as I get older. Cause his dad looked like he was about 50 something and his dad, his dad goes, I'm not into things and I don't want to talk to people about it. <laughs> I was like, yeah, <laughs> there's this thing. But it's also like uh, why older people find it hard if they get back into the dating scene to find anybody. Cause they don't have any tolerance for anybody else's stuff. You know, over over their life, they've kind of figured out what they're into and what they're not into, and it's such a narrow focus, it's almost impossible to find anybody else that's into the exact same thing that you are. Um, all right, so that was the end of the race. Went back to the hotel room. Uh, we did order a pizza, but I didn't eat that. I don't know. I ate some of it. I was fine. I was happy. I was uh, not craving salt like crazy. I wasn't a mess. I was actually just fine walked around and all kinds of stuff like that so that was pretty cool and then the next day uh, we were in separate cars uh kaya had to get to a birthday party back in college station before um before i did and uh so emily took her car back and then i took longer and packed up all my stuff and then drove back to college station it was like an hour or something to drive which was nice and then went to work and uh on Monday, because, yeah, Sunday, nothing, and then Monday, uh, went back to work, and uh, it was kind of funny, because hardly anyone knew that I did an Iron Man. It was pretty neat. Stealth Iron, Stealth Man, so maybe what we ought to call it. But then, uh, let's see, where did I leave off with that? Uh, so, my goal after this race was to do um, something interesting, and to, because I've been doing a little bit too much, and it's stressful, and I'm looking for ways to reduce stress, especially with the vitiligo stuff. Um, it's stress-related. And actually, my vitiligo seems to be getting a little bit better. It's kind of hard to tell um, by reducing stress. And I said, okay, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to zero out. It's called zeroing out uh, and then only adding in stuff that's intentional and with purpose. And only keeping things as I add it in that doesn't seem... To, uh, I'm only adding it in because I, I really want it. And then as I add it in, add it in in a way that doesn't create stress. And if it does create stress, then lose it again. And only add it in in a way that I either like or just don't add it in at all. Right? And totally going by the way I feel instead of what I should do. And um, there's actually a good podcast out there called The Slow Home Podcast or Slow Your Home I think it's Slow Home Podcast, and I love it. It's so good, and it's all about intentional living and only uh, slowing everything down to only what's um, important and being okay with that, and it's really, really nice, and it's it's a side effect of all this craziness and modern living of, of our, um, with all, basically in modern society, we're able to uh, make and have an experience. So uh, that's all a whole bunch of physical and emotional overload. Um, and because this is all new, it actually ca- causes a problem 
You know, if this was a couple hundred years ago, you'd have to go really out of your way to um, experience something dramatic <laughs> on, you know, on purpose. Um, and in modern society, you can meet somebody on the internet and then go skydiving and then eat Chinese food and then um, go to the uh, rifle range and then watch um, a movie about aliens exploding the earth all in one day. I mean, it's a lot. And you can get this all the time that that's happening. You're getting uh, 50 emails that day about all kinds of products that you need to buy and you're being slammed in your face with advertisements for more kinds of stuff that you would buy. Now compare that to living in a in a uh, log cabin out on the prairie, a uh, little house on the prairie kind of scenario, um, where the only input's pretty much nature, and uh, and it's nice, you know, slower, much much slower. So all this modern stuff has hit us so fast. Um, it's kind of like uh, overeating, where <clears throat> you know we're designed to try to get in as many calories as we can, and it's hard to resist that because it used to be. Um, that food was harder to, a lot harder to come by, and now food is so easy to come by that it'll uh, kill you because you're hardwired to try to eat as much as you can. And with all the advertising to kind of try to trick you into eating as much as you can is uh, bad as well. <clears throat> so you have to actually, uh, um, you can evolve yourself out of this, and it'll be the smart people that uh, know that that this is something to work on that will. Uh, survive this new world. Uh, for example, step one is to change your mindset and realize that food is a commodity. It is junk. It doesn't cost anything for people to make food nowadays. And uh, so you shouldn't feel guilty about throwing um, or not consuming everything that's on your plate. You're like, oh, this poor food, you know, we're, we're, uh, we're throwing it away. Well, you know, maybe they shouldn't have made it in the first place. <laughs> it's just too much food. And you shouldn't feel guilty because somebody else just made a whole ton of food and just put it on your plate, you know? That's their problem that they did that. And until you fight back and quit eating it all, then maybe uh, until you do that, they're going to keep doing it. Um, Okay, so that's enough of a rant. So in my life right now, um, it's, and you might want to consider this too, you zero out. You go back to doing nothing. And you know what? After an Ironman is a really great time to do it because you're tired of doing too much anyway. So you zero out, put nothing on your calendar um, at all for a while. And then after a while, go, okay, um, I'm going to add back in, I don't know, maybe maybe jogging or something like that. Whatever thing you want to work on the most. Or um, I haven't washed my car in uh, since I got it two years ago. Emily washed it once or twice, but I haven't washed it. And so I'm like, you know what? I need to, I need to add in the minimal house care stuff that I've been failing to do because I have, uh, I call it triathlete yard syndrome. Maybe there's triathlete house syndrome where you're going out for five-hour bike rides, but your, your house looks like crap because you're not taking care of it because you're going out for five-hour bike rides. And then uh, if you're a parent, you know, like kid stuff and uh, slowly adding that kind of stuff in, like, you know, like taking your kids to practice and um, adding that all back in, adding in all the appropriate stuff that's required first and then getting that leveled out over a period of uh, a couple of weeks, 
so that it's not stressful. And all you're doing is monitoring stress and sleep. In Training Peaks, you can monitor stress, sleep. You can you can uh, enter all that, and then it'll graph it for you if you want. And um, and not committing and, and not doing anything more that causes any kind of stress. It's the first question you ask yourself. Saying no to all kinds of stuff and just doing it. You know what? I just did an Ironman or I just did a marathon or whatever you did. And I'm, done, I'm not going to do anything for a while. Um, and your, your health and fitness isn't going to go anywhere over a couple of weeks. So it's been nice. Um, after quite a few days, I was like, man, you know what? I really need to be lifting weights. Um, because in my situation, um, I work... Uh, with uh, at a desk and I have this hour lunch and there's a gym really close nearby going for a run at lunch is a little bit too much going for a bike ride at lunch is a little bit too much work it takes up too much time but you know what doesn't take up too much time is walking into a gym and lifting weights for like half an hour and then swinging by Freebirds World Burrito and picking up a burrito and then going back to my desk and at lunch Um, because I feel like working eight hours nine hours ten hours a day with no physical activity in the middle well, putting some physical activity in the middle is perfect, perfect, and kind of breaks up the day and makes you feel better. Um, probably helps your metabolism a lot to have a little kick going on in the middle of the day. Let's see if this guy backs into me. And uh, and it's, it's nice. It's really, really nice. So I added in that, and then after a while, I couldn't stand not working out besides that. So I kind of started working out, but only working out. Uh, to the point of where it was like no stress and just feels nice and is no big deal. And there was other things. Oh, and start um, cutting out caffeine because, um, or cutting back. I don't think, there's all these studies that have come out, you know, caffeine's actually good for you. Or coffee, I mean, is actually good for you. If you get older, it keeps your uh, magical parts downstairs um, working better. And people that drink like three, four cups a day, um, have better artery health and like all this other stuff. So it's like, I don't want to cut it out entirely, but I don't want to be surviving on it. So let's cut back the activity so that I don't need coffee just to get by. Um, you know, like I can get by without coffee, with it or without it, my energy levels, and then I'm fine. And so I've been doing that. And um, let me see if I have something else that I have on my list that I've been, I've been cutting back. And oh, coaching. Um, I, I worked on setting up my coaching habits uh, to be way more sustainable and uh, getting everybody coached out like a week or two ahead of time and not trying to play catch up all the time. Like what's a schedule where that actually works? And uh, set that up first and filling uh, Hornet juice orders, setting that up so that there's a a habit and a pattern where that happens reliably, consistently every day at a certain time. And then... um, I'm looking at my notes real quick, make sure I'm not missing anything. Um, and then making sure that, um, yeah, like I get all that stuff settled up, settled out first before I add in any kind of fitness training or anything like that. So, yeah. Okay, I have more notes here in just a second. Let's go ahead and pause, and I'll be right back. All right, let's try to go ahead and wrap up the entirety of the show. This is dragging out. Forever, it seems like. I'm in my car, uh, just sitting in the driveway with the windows down. You can hear the birds, maybe? And uh, Kai and I went mountain biking today. Well, I trail run 
and he mountain bikes. Actually, I started off the day by going swimming in the neighborhood pool, but then I uh, took Kai with me out to the mountain bike trails, and it ended up being a whole lot muddier than I, th- I was uh, hoping it would be. It wasn't terrible, but after a while, it starts to wear on a kid, and then I uh, slipped and fell down and landed right on the healing scab that's the size of like a silver dollar or bigger on the outside of my left knee and hit it hard and not only did it freaking hurt it also um, ripped the scab off and I started bleeding all over the place I took a picture and of course posted it on the internet on Instagram on Twitter Zen Triathlon on Twitter and um Oh my God, it still hurts right now. And that was like six hours ago, seven hours ago. I mean, it hurt. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Anyway, um, somebody wanted me to talk about it on the training log. So there you go. All right, let's see. I have a few things to to cover. Uh, Let's see. The, um, there's some things after the race that I've been getting into. I already talked about some of them. Um, I got a few tricks for you. Um, a tech trick is if you go to YouTube and type in uh, traditional Japanese flute music or bamboo flute, but make sure you do traditional and then Japanese and Chinese is really nice too. Um, there's like two, three hour long um, music compositions of really relaxing Asian, uh, just wonderful music. Um, I like the bamboo flute kind of stuff. And it's uh, something that it'll stream. And actually on your phone, it'll, on my phone at least, if I uh, close the screen, it stops. But if I hit the headphones to play again, then it'll, it'll start playing again. And so you could do a long while of just listening to really relaxing music. And let's see, yeah, I joined a gym and been getting in weightlifting And it's just so nice because it's so much results for such little amount of time compared to, um, compared to like going out for a freaking three hour bike ride or something like that. And, um, I replaced my phone. My phone was starting to crap out. There was just so much stuff that was backing up. Um, need to work on my mountain bike and get that set back up again. And, um, I also went to the neighborhood pool and coached somebody on how to swim. He was crossing over, and when you cross over, then you tend to kind of karate chop out and forward with your hands, and that creates a lot of drag. Um, and so what was really cool was with his own phone, I videoed him. Oh, it was a GoPro camera, but anyway, with an app. So we, um, I videoed him swimming, so he had it using his own device and showed him what he was doing. He was like, holy cow, and I'm like, yeah. <laughs> You're doing some crazy stuff there. and uh, But it was cool to show him that his feet were uh, doing pretty good. For example, a test is hold your hands by your side and float face down and kick gently. And uh, watch which way you go. This guy actually started going backwards. And that's because your feet aren't pointed back far enough. And if you go backwards when you kick, well, that's not helping you swim faster. And it's not helping you keep your feet up either. So there's little tests like that. Uh, but that was a good time uh, helping somebody out. And so video video yourself and have an expert look at it. Uh, there's lots of websites where you can send people uh, video footage. And then the um, I found an amazing podcast. Uh, 
Tim, the Tim Ferriss podcast, which um, I'm not, I've kind of gotten over all the uh, hacking, bo- body hacking, biohacking, lifestyle hacking. It's good up to a point, but you can co- become kind of addicted to um, trying to find the shortest way and get all into it. But I think you kind of go through that phase once you realize that there are way better ways of doing stuff than what you think. The mailman's delivering mail right behind me. And um, the uh, so it, it's good to a point, but also, you know, hacking too much stuff can get to be kind of silly. But uh, so the Tim Ferriss show is pretty good for the guests that he, that he interviews, but he interviews Rick Rubin, who was the music producer for Beastie Boys, Rolling Stones. I don't know if he did Led Zeppelin. Nah, Led Zeppelin's too old. Well, unless Led Zeppelin remastered something. Um, Run DMC, LL Cool J, um, probably Taylor Swift. I mean, who knows? Like, he does everything, and he is so zinned out. It is insane. The guy's been meditating since he was 14 years old. He does uh, um, aquatic sports stuff like paddle boarding and lifting weights underwater. He learned that from Laird Hamilton, so he hangs out with Laird. And, um, it was really cool. Some, some insights that you hear in the interview is um, when Tim asks him, how is he a different music producer than other music producers? He's, he pauses and he says, oh, I don't know. All I know is what I do. I don't know what other, I couldn't know what other music producers do. <laughs> and it's such a hit to the head. You're just like, whoa, holy crap, that's right. <laughs> You know, because to really know what other people do, you'd have to be comparing all the time. And he just does what he does. And what he does, he said, actually, is he kind of removes blocks that allow, that are keeping people from being the best artists and making the best recordings that they possibly can. And that's such good advice for everything you do in life, including triathlon, uh, work, raising kids, is um, when they, people say be authentic. You know, basically, you have to quit worrying about everybody else and do um, what actually gets you results for your best results and the people that you love and care about around you. And they be an enabler. That's what I am. I'm totally an enabler. Somebody says, I'm going to ride 50 miles on a tricycle. And I'm like, you could do that. <laughs> Go do it. I'll help you. It'll be so awesome. They're like, really? I'm like, yes, dude. It'll be awesome. Let's remove some blocks and get you going like we're doing an Ultraman this fall in October and the whole point is to remove I believe lots of people could do it and we're going to set it up so that I can do it and if you want to join me you can too and the main thing is removing all the blocks keeping you from getting it done right which roads are unsafe um where do you put the bathrooms where do you uh where, how do you make the run course so that you don't need tons of support in the bike course too, you know, what time of year, removing blocks so that it can happen, right? And we're going to get to Dao De Ching in a second because that's really cool. And I talked to, um, so anyways, check out the Tim Ferriss uh, interview with the show where he interviews Rick Rubin. It'll blow your mind. It is so good. Um, there was, uh, well, on the Slow Home podcast, uh, I think I've already talked about that. That's really nice. Um, trying to cut back on coffee some and then ending. Oh, I was listening to something that uh, was really cool. And one 
one really interesting aspect of of taking the time to stop negative thinking. So there's a saying that negative thinking or worrying is kind of like negative it's like negative prayer. <laughs> you're kind of wishing for something bad to happen because you're thinking about it all the time. Or let's say that um, also you're angry at somebody or you're mad that somebody cuts you off in traffic, right? So if you take the time to sit down and I wouldn't say meditate, but just allow yourself to stop thinking and, and not just allow yourself, purposefully tell yourself to stop thinking about that negative thing so that um, you can let it go. You're... You're, uh, because there's um, people would say, well, all this, you know, taking time to slow down and sit down and uh, and think about stuff is kind of selfish because you're, um, you know, you don't want to take time to do it because you got other stuff to do. But no, um, everybody knows that negative thoughts lead to more negative thoughts, right? Somebody yells at you, and now you're mad. Now you go do something mean to somebody else at work or at home because you're angry. And you just propagate negative energy and uh, negative mindset. And what if everybody was happy all the time? You know, what kind of world would that be? Um, but you got to put an end to to the the chain of negativity that happens when something bad happens. It's your choice. They teach us a lot in Zen. It's the second arrow that's your choice. If you get hit with an arrow, you can stop the pain right there and go, oh. I got hit with an arrow. Oh, that sucks. Well, I'm going to keep uh, doing my own thing. An arrow is a figurative thing. And then, um, not literal, but uh, it's somebody that doesn't have control of themselves will turn around and be and fire a second arrow out into the world back at somebody else. You know, They'll justify, they'll act poorly and then justify it because something happened to them. A lot of times they don't even know they're doing it. And... Um, if you stop, purposefully take the time to slow down and stop a negative thought and let it go and put it to rest and bury it and put a gravestone on it and put flowers on it and say, I'm done with this. That was interesting. Now I'm done with it. I'm going to move on. And then now go out for a nice jog or have fun with your family instead of dwelling on it um, all afternoon or evening and all overnight and ruining your next day and your next day and your next day right? with guilt and worry then you're actually doing the world a favor because now the world has a happy you instead of a negative you. So it is worth the time to stop, pause, think about the negative things that are bothering you and categorically and individually uh, end them. Decide to end them and, and worry about them one last time and then if it's not useful, just bury it. Don't worry about it. Okay, let's see. The... Last thing I have is the Tao Te Ching. Should we do donations and interviews first? Let's make sure we don't have any more uh, sponsors and mentions. I should mention um, Hornet Juice. We've done Amrita Bars, but Hornet Juice is such a huge sponsor of the show. So cool. So let's talk about Hornet Juice for a second. Um, on my uh, long trail run I did with Kai on his mountain bike uh, today, 
um, loaded up with some Hornet juice before I before I took off and felt so good. Hornet juice is awesome stuff. It's amino acid power uh, powder, and you add it to like eight to ten ounces of water. Drink it before your workout, and then every hour and a half during, if you want. And it's uh, the amino acids actually tell your body, signal your body to start burning body fat for more fuel instead of needing a whole bunch of sugary stuff, which we've talked a lot about trying to do less of. And it works and it's amazing. It's actually really, really cool. And uh, it's based on Japanese killer hornet saliva. No joke. And it comes from New Zealand. It's really cool. And when you order it, you actually get an email from me. Uh, so now you have my email address and you can email me questions. And also if you want to donate to the show, um, you can email me questions and I'll tell you how in a second. But uh, yeah, Hornet Juice is super, super cool. It's super convenient. Um, it's really effective. It's fun. It's neat. It's interesting. It's something different that uh, most of your friends will be like, what the heck is that? And it works. I'll never forget the first time I ever used it on a long ride, like a 70 mile ride or something like that. I needed way less fuel and finished feeling awesome. It was really incredible. So you can get Hornet Juice on the right side of the page on zentrathlon.com and on the emails I get back from people that are like, holy crap, this stuff really works. This is no joke. They're really cool. And the, um, on the, go to zentrathlon.com and you can order like a uh, eight pack. Is it eight or 10? 10, 20, 30, 60, you know, whatever you want. People order a small uh, serving first, a small order first. And then they almost always come back with just way more because <laughs> they're like, oh, wow. Because the uh, if you buy a bigger pack of it, then uh, the price goes down relative to the um, to the uh, overall. So let's see. We have that. On the left side of the show, you can donate to the show. You can do a one-time donation or do a recurring donation. If you found stuff on, in this podcast useful to you and you want to give back to Zentry, and help keep the show on the air. It's super, super easy. You go to the left side, set up a PayPal donation, uh, one time or recurring. Recurring is only, it's like, it's less than four bucks a month. So it's like a dollar an episode. It's really, really cool. And it helps us a lot. I should also mention, um, go to the, uh, the Real Starkey TRS Triathlon uh, forums. I'm on there a bunch lately. We're doing uh, some talking about setting up my own little area in there and using their forums as my forums. And we can do a thread on each show, there's the big diesel truck firing up behind me. Everybody in Texas thinks they got to have a giant diesel um, monster truck. Makes them happy. And let's see. I think that's it. Let's talk about the uh, Dao De Jing. It's, I think, the way you say it. <laughs> in fact, um, there is a... It's spelled Tao Te Ching. T-A-O-T-E-C-H-I-N-G. And let me pull up the, the author's name. Because it's in Chinese and it was written around 600 A.D. by Lao Tzu. L-A-O-T-Z-U, I think. And it is just phenomenal. He was one of uh, Confucius... They think he was one of Confucius's um, students. And so it was a really refined message. And he wrote this, um, not going around preaching it. Somebody else asked him to write it as he was leaving a town to go live in the countryside. 
because uh, they knew he was a master of philosophy and thinking, and they uh, they said, "Hey, can you write down your uh, what you know?" And he wrote it down in a series of poems. It's like eighty-eight or eighty-two poems that you know, like uh, one page each or something like that. And each one covers a different aspect of thinking and living and governing your life, governing your country, uh, eating, um, activity, athleticism, uh, just everything, economics. It's amazing. And the, um, of course, written in Chinese. If you're listening to this podcast, you probably can't read Chinese. There are a few people out there who can that listen to this show. But the best translation available in the Western world seems to be one written in 1988 or 89 by Stephen Mitchell. And um, he does a little bit of a foreword in it to kind of explain the the whole thing. And that's really, really handy. And also on audible.com, there is a... um, there's uh, the Tao Te Ching by the version by him, uh, Stephen Mitchell's version, version, and uh, and it's really really cool to listen to because you get the tone of it's really well written. There's a jarring ad at the end of it, which you're kind of like, oh my god, everybody complains about. It. But aside from that, it's actually fantastic. And he, um, well. We're going to cover this over a few shows, but what I'd like to cover first is the intro and kind of like the mindset and how it relates to uh, slowing down and living and uh, and triathlon and how that all works. So the Tao Te Ching translates to the way, and it's supposed to be a view into how the world works, like an instructional guide on how the world works that's bigger than God, bigger than religion, bigger than anything. Um, it was it was here at the beginning of the universe. It's how the universe was formed, how to, how everything works. And the the crazy thing is is so much of it is the opposite of what you would think. And it's the um, the phrase is doing not doing. So do you notice that sometimes the more you try at something, the worse it actually becomes. <laughs> Is the best way to describe it, and it's. Um, I always think of the George Costanza character in Seinfeld, where he decided that he was going to do the opposite. His life has just been kind of a mess so far, so he's decided he's going to do everything the opposite of what the way he had been doing it. And all of a sudden, he starts getting all these great results. Attractive women that that uh, he he couldn't get dates with before or saying yes. He's getting great jobs. He's making a ton of money all by doing the opposite. And also I think about uh, when you, when, yeah, when you trying to get out of something, you end up talking too much about it and it becomes obvious when somebody did something wrong. Um, you know, they're fidgety and they're, they're um, very suspicious acting because they're doing a lot that somebody that, uh, didn't do it, uh, wouldn't be doing. So it's doing, not doing. And then, uh, it sounds like you're not doing much, but actually it's the opposite. It's being, it's doing so well, uh, or being so into getting so into that Zen state kind of thing, that flow state, uh, the thing that you, that you are doing, that you're not doing any extra. And that's the whole point. So they use the example of an athlete 
um, an athlete that has trained themselves, just like you can, uh, to doing stuff um, looks smooth and efficient, and there's no extra movement. So there's no, they're doing not doing, right? So the thing that they're doing, they're so into it, there's no um, superfluous, I think is the word, uh, activity going on. And so like if you're just washing dishes, you just wash dishes. If you just ride your bike, just ride your bike, right? And you think of somebody that's that's not good at something yet, um, like say walking a tightrope, right? Somebody that's really good at walking a tightrope, it looks so smooth, right? And somebody that's new to it, what are they doing? What are they doing? They're, they're um, whip wiggling and wobbling all over the place. And it's ridiculous. You know, you're kind of like, man, if you would just quit doing that, but they don't know. So they're doing a whole lot of extra, right? And it's wasteful uh, of calories and energy and uh, tires you out. I remember when I first learned to ride a motorcycle, um, I was so sore after every ride for like uh, quite a few days. And I was gripping the handlebars so tight way more tighter than I needed to. And it actually made me really sore in my chest and my shoulders and hands and arms. And the, um, over time, after I got used to riding a motorcycle, I learned to relax and let the front wheel kind of do it. You know, you don't need the heel. <laughs> you don't need the center of the bike. The bike centers itself. Right. And with swimming, um, the uh, karate chop sideways, the, the dropping and spreading of the legs to keep your balance, uh, creates all kinds of drag and kicking extra hard creates all kinds of extra drag and burns calories that you don't need to do, right? Um, people that are drowning, did you know if you just hold your breath and float and, and don't move your body at all, if you take a big breath of air, you'll float. You don't even need to swim. You don't even need to move your arms. You just need to take a big breath and hold. And then every once in a while, do just like every 20 seconds, do just a gentle pull and pull your mouth above the water and exhale and then inhale and take a big breath and then you're floating again. That's what it takes to swim. It takes like uh, five calories an hour <laughs> to float, really. You're not really going anywhere. And but people drown by clawing at the water and uh, sinking because they, they exhaust themselves. And when you uh, ride your bike or run, the more relaxed you keep your upper body, the more your lower body uh, has the energy and has the focus to do the thing that it's supposed to. You don't pedal your bike with your arms. You kind of steer your bike, sorta, but only when you go off course, right? And uh, you don't run on your arms. You counterbalance your upper body, I guess your lower body, with the help of your arms a little bit. But the uh, the more you do not doing, the uh, the better you get at stuff. And uh, this goes along with the whole uh, after Iron Man. Uh, kind of zeroing out and practicing not doing anything and then only adding in back the stuff that you actually need to add in and doing that well, right? Only the necessary and doing it well and uh, making sure that you're not doing any, any superfluous crap that's wearing you out and, uh, and adding stuff into your schedule and your life and your day that's... Um, that's wearing you out. So we'll talk about more about this um, as we go on.
with uh, some more episodes, some more concepts that are just really, really good. And you can go check it out on audible.com or go get the book. The book is available everywhere. I mean, it was written, what is it, uh, 1,600 years ago or something. So, uh, yeah, there's no, there's no copyright on it. <laughs> it's been around for a while. It's free material. It's really good. Okay, let's... Uh, Oh, if you go read it, then you'll um, you'll be able to uh, know more about when we talk about it on future shows and uh, put it to work. Okay, let's talk about some donations and wrap it up. Um, we got a donation from Priscilla, and she writes in, Thank you, Brett. I'm a three-year listener. Love the podcast. Listening to your podcast gave me the confidence of knowing what to expect when I started racing triathlons, and now I am hooked. Ah, oh, cool. Thank you. Uh, without your insight and the information you provide, it would have been a much steeper learning curve and a more nerve-wracking experience. All the best to you and your family, Priscilla. Well, thank you, Priscilla. That's really nice. Yeah, that's what I, I try to do in, um, to get more of us out there by uh, like what we were just talking about with triathlon, explaining what actually really happens so that when you go into it, there's only that and everything else you add is extra and not necessary. If you're worrying about stuff or you think this is going to happen, don't worry about it. I remember my first ever triathlon in the transition area. I took like five minutes because I put on a bandana and I had a giant GPS, handheld GPS (laughs) that I attached to my bike. And I changed all my clothes into my biking clothes from the swim. And then when I was done with the bike, I did the same thing to get back out on the run. And, uh, oh my God, it was ridiculous. It's all extra. You don't need it. So, yeah. All right. Simon Wright, longtime donor. Thank you. Uh, Andre S. in Germany. I won't play any uh, German music with this. Uh, Let's see. Hi, Brett. Thanks for making these great shows. It really is helping out learning something new about my sport every day. Just finished your Roth Drama podcast. Having done it two times in a row. Hey, yeah, cool. I must say it is worth the trip, but hard to come by tickets. Uh, smiley face. If you really want to go, maybe I can set something up. And thanks for recommending Hornet Juice. It's amazing! Exclamation point. Greetings from Germany, Andre. Thanks, Andre. Yeah, wouldn't it be cool to go to the... Uh, is Germany the uh, fatherland or is it the motherland? I think it's the fatherland. Isn't it? Um, the Von Blancs. The Blankners. The Von Blancs are German. Um, I talked about that on the podcast a while back. John Taylor gave a donation. M. Webb, donor. William Beck, Hun Chu. Thank you, Hun Chu. And Hun Chu is living in... um, Well, he trained some in in Singapore, and it's really cool uh, talking with him and working with him on stuff. He's, He's pretty cool. And Richard Stewart and Grant Beauchert. And Michael K. And this is for providing an awesome podcast. Oh, he sent a donation. It's long overdue for Austin 70.3, Galveston 70.3 2014 and 2015. And for you providing everything needed to finish my first Ironman in Texas over the weekend. I am the guy who used your ice water bottle trick on the run course and yelled at you. Smiley face. Exclamation point. Uh, Thanks for all you do. Exclamation point. Shout out to my KMF Performance Tri Club and USAT National Coach of the Year, Ben Drizek. D R E Z E K! Exclamation point. Cool. Thank you, Michael. That was so funny. You yelling at me out there on the race course. I'll never forget it. That was one of the highlights of me racing. 
Hey, dude! Dude! Okay, Emily called on the phone, and then I told her I was recording, so we'll see what happens to this recording. God, I hope it works. And let's see where we leave off. Um, Connor Sanders, uh, Jonathan Woodman... James Godak, Jason Drury. We got a lot of donations because it's been about two weeks since I put out a show. Uh, Todd Nelson, Brian Kemper, Todd Endicott, Matthew Heinz. Hey, what's up, dude? And Dan Matkia, Machia, Machia, Jessica Woodruff, Carrie slash Jeff Honing, Matthew Froes, Allison Frutos, and Alexander Bromage. All right. I think that's it. Next episode we need to talk about ceramic speed bearings which i've got my hands on some now and they are super super cool and make my bike run awesome and also christine lynch might be on the next episode stay uh stay uh tuned with um me and tawny on uh on the zendurance stuff on her podcast and i think what we're doing now is, as I add stuff in uh, purposefully, we're going to start ramping up training very, very gradually. And there's a whole lot of stuff going on this summer. I'm going to San Diego uh, for a little bit. Probably see Tawny up there. And I'm going to start uh, training for Ultra Baby. So we're doing an Ultraman in fall, but only adding in stuff uh, gradually as it's needed. Uh, Tawny and I are going to talk about uh, HRV, heart. Uh, rate variability, um, being careful. Uh, also, yeah, the time trial thing. I'm going to be doing time trials probably over the summer. I hope so. Um, once a week, hopefully, kind of depending on weather and schedule. And use that, use those uh, to increase my uh, threshold, my FTP. And uh, I think that's about it. So we'll save more for the next episode. Lots of cool stuff happening. Lots and lots of cool stuff. And more Dowdy Ching. And that's it. All right, everybody stay safe out there. Work the uphills, cruise the downhills, and keep the rubber side down out. Here.